I just had a six-year-old show up uh, this morning on nice. the camera, so that You're gives in good me hope. He's not, he's not crazy and he's big, dead. but he, he's cool and he's bad. I'm just kidding. A Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Deer Grow. Heck yeah, man. Dude, we put a lot of food in the ground every year, you know, seemingly more and more, and uh, we have a ton of fun with it during the off-season. Uh, there's some struggles that come with it too, though, right? Obviously, the back of my truck is evidence, you know, right now. It's mm-hmm. a couple of weeks after uh, I jackknifed, you know, a 4,800-pound uh, material spreader, you know, as I was coming down, and it's just it was too much weight for my truck there. But, you know, all those struggles aside, you know, dude, Deer Grill really has been a staple for our food plotting process uh, for several years now. Yes, we like to put lime and fertilizer on the plots, you know, if we can, but there are some that it's just we're not able to get to them or it's not feasible for us to get out of state with that stuff and so deer grow is kind of the, the quick and easy but still super effective option for us to be able to get the most out of those food plots that we can every year and i mean we're guilty of over analyzing things just like everyone else but that's the best part about deer grow is that it's going to create healthier soils which in turn makes better food plots and the fact is is we can simply spray plot start or plot till when we put the seed in the ground and then when that plant starts to grow we hit it with boost and we know that we walk away when we come back it's going to be a great looking food plot for anybody that's looking to try deer grow if you use the code hunter 15 that's h-u-n-t-r-1-5 at checkout for deergrow.com and save 15 percent on any of your deer grow products it's a great way to get started on this and just see what the results are for yourself better food plots bigger deer and we're back yeah yeah <laughs> hunter podcast yeah anniversary edition 150 <laughs> episode 150 150 how about that that's 50, crazy 150 cents it's almost uh three years of doing these things damn yes yeah damn, damn. <laughs> i think january will be three years of nice. doing these things heck yeah by then it'll be like 60s 70s yeah yeah sweet 150 oh hey uh yeah see i was giving jared time to come we back appreciate in. you guys listening we really do uh if you're listening on youtube spotify or apple podcast uh go ahead and subscribe on those channels and uh, leave us some comments and reviews whatever you guys want to do um, we do see those for the most part and we appreciate it there you go simple as that there you go uh it is nick said october 10th mm-hmm. that this comes out it's hunting season <laughs> oh yeah we're open yeah, yeah, yeah. open for business <laughs> kind of weird kind of like pseudo stressful coming in let's like it's almost like it's here uh-huh. it's like are we ready i don't know if we're ever really are we ready. ever really ready is a better question mm-hmm. yeah i mean especially, do you need to be ready is uh, another fair question i think it, it'll be interesting to get in it with our guest today and, and talk about it a little bit but um you know i think everybody probably if you if you hunt multiple farms or multiple properties there's probably some properties that you're like man I, you know i've got shooters i'm like I'm, I'm strategizing. I'm, I'm gonna make a move on them early in the season. Then you've got other farms that you're just kind of like, well, I'm just waiting. I know they're gonna show up. It's just when, mm-hmm. and then I make my move. So, and it probably changes sometimes from year to year depending absolutely. on mainly crop rotation. Crop rotation and, and this year, acorns, acorns are a major factor. Or water. Uh, yeah, or water. Also this. Well, year. you know, yeah. Yeah, in certain certain areas of the country, I'd say for sure. Like for us, mm-hmm. it's you know, water has looked like brassica fields yeah you know the brassicas are getting pounded mm-hmm. we are getting some rain today fine dude i i yeah we got an inch in kentucky already and a quarter inch in my ohio farm today that's awesome this morning i think in our farm in ohio because it's 
it's weird because it's been kind of rainy and, mm-hmm. and gloomy here. We haven't gotten any of it at the farm. I think today is the first rain we've gotten in like over three weeks. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. it, it's it's not good. Yeah. I mean, the, the brassica plot behind my house is mowed. I mean, it is, it looks like a yard. Uh, Yeah. And it's definitely, well, the deer pressure, you know, because of the lack of moisture and stuff. So because I, you know, I had three really good plots, all mm-hmm. acre and a half. I'm going to say, so I planted those August 5th mm-hmm. as that second planting. Mm-hmm. By like September first, mm-hmm. last week of August, they looked really good. Good, really good. I mean, I had uh, whatever they were, yeah. foot and a half, yeah. you know, coming on. Most of those have, you know, just been reduced. I was out in there ch- checking. Well, them we're filming this. It's September twenty eighth. Like normally, my brassica plots look as good as they're ever going to be right now. Yeah, and then they start starting getting, to bulb up and yeah. stuff. Yeah, and now they're like they're gone in that place. At least I haven't been to Ohio. I'll be there next week to see, but like. Yeah, it's uh, there's so much water content that's held in that. So when we have these dry streaks like this, you know, I mean, sure, they can go to creeks and ponds and stuff, but, you know, they're getting a lot of their water content from the food they eat. Yeah, um, So and along with that drought, you know, we're hearing kind of reports, uh, some firsthand, some secondhand of EHD. Never good. Striking. Yeah, uh, and kind of late uh, in the year for it, too. I mean, normally... Is it? I mean, this that is late, the time late, for it, right? Late August, early September is like... Yeah, I guess you're right. You know when it's... It, it, that's the time it usually hits. But because I think of the extended drought that we've seen, or even, you know, the, the problem that... We'll, and we'll talk about it today. The problem with what happens is you get, you know, like a wet spring, then you hit a drought, and then those mud flats create EHD breaks out. Or... You end up in a prolonged drought, which I think is what we've experienced more of this year. You get spotty rain, which you wish for in terms of crops and food plots, but that spotty stuff dries really fast and creates those mud flats again. So it's, you know, unless you're getting consistent rain throughout those summer months into early fall, um, those mud flats are going to appear. And that leads to EHD in a lot of cases. Um, yeah. for the vectors. So well, there seems like some kind of a perfect storm. It's like, you know, we can, we can look back historic. I don't know if, you know, maybe one of our guests have looked at, mm-hmm. uh, critically or, or, you know, uh, you know, specifically at like the different weather events and stuff that happened on like 2012 was the last Huge. time people would look back and say that that was a, you know, a, mm-hmm. a devastating year. We've had another one in 18 Dakota's had one in 20. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's, it's happened frequently. Um, you know, and, and more frequently and, and is it because we're paying attention to it more? Is it because there is, you know, changes in the environment, changes in the climate? I don't know, whatever you want to call it, but like it, it, for sure, we've been seeing it happen more frequently in the last decade than before then. Um, scary, man. It's, yeah. It's not, uh, you know, th- think about how much each, you know, each of us value, Mm-hmm. You know, the life of a whitetail period, but like, you know, it takes four years to grow, uh, you know, yeah. not that we're necessarily doing the growing, but you know, a buck's got to live for four years to, to reach, you know, maturity, mm-hmm. uh, and to just, you know, to get killed, you know, a- after that time has passed and like, uh, so, a salt, painful gap. salt in the wound. It's like, man, it's, it's right before hunting season. It's like, you know, they've, they've got full racks on, we know what they look like. And then, you know, we're just amping up to start to get to hunt them and, mm-hmm. and bam, you know, kicks you, kicks you in the gut. Yeah. Uh, so we've got uh, Chris Duncan and Skip Sly on, both from Iowa, uh, talk talk some things. But Iowa's been kind of the the epicenter, at least so far this year, from an EHD outbreak. I did send you a press release uh, recently in Crawford County, Pennsylvania, so that's northwestern Pennsylvania, yeah. that they've found, what, 30-plus? 
That's from my uncle's um, from his own property. Yeah, not transparently, not to freak you out. Not that far from your farm either. In Ohio. Yep, dead east basically. We've had farm. some before. Like yep. it, you know, not it's not ever been real bad, but we've mm. we've found some, you know, in the lakes and stuff. Yeah. Hey Nick, can I in my years, can I just get a little bit of everybody else? And you know, I think the other big thing that we'll we'll talk about is uh, you know, with EHD, it's it's often um very local in its uh its actual, you know, effects or appearance, right? So literally this farm could have it and the farm you know, next door could not. Right. Um, and so that that's what makes it, I think, frustrating for a lot of people is, you know, it's unpredictable and kind of when it's going to happen. Although we, you know, anytime we have those droughts, there's a good sense that I feel like we're going to get it. Um, Do you know what that is that caused the, the spottiness of it? I mean, it's where the mudflats are because it's all it all revolves around these colicoidy midges, right? Mm -hmm. That is the, the vector. That is what's transferring the disease from deer to deer, basically. Uh, and those midges uh, originate from mudflats, right? So, um, you know, you see this a lot in cattle country too, because you think about around ponds and around water areas where the cattle are is, you know, it's a mudflat. Yeah. I mean, everybody's seen one before. Yeah. Uh, they get worse and worse when you have a water in an area and then it recedes because of drought or whatever um, <laughs> it, from it, that. It does also seem like uh, those mudflats are more uh, prone to like soil types. Mm -hmm. You know, because, like, dude, we, we don't get a whole lot of those. Like, where we're at in Ohio mm -hmm. and here in Pennsylvania and stuff, like, we don't really have the soil that, like, you know, when you when you go out west. Yeah. I mean, I, dude, I'll say in North Dakota, uh, you know, I you're like, in holy cow, this whole thing is a mud flat. You yeah. Know? And it's just like, oh, yeah, that seems to be a, yeah, at least a contributing factor. You don't see it as much. I mean, really, it's those droughty years that it, it becomes more apparent in, in even, like, our areas. Um, but even when you've got, like, more timber-based situations and things like that, you don't see them as, as frequently as you will with open fields, ag, cattle ground. Um, th those are, are kind of, you know, number one breeding grounds for this stuff. So, Well, it can be scary, like, you know, on an acorn year like we have this year, it's like, you know, deer do disappear. Right? Oh, yeah. You know, they, they will kind of fall off the radar this time of year. Yep. But, but in the back of your mind, you know, you start hearing things about just wherever across the country, EHD. Freaks this, this out, man. Yeah, dude, it's hard not to freak out. And it's like, what do you, what do? You do? You and there's kinda... no stopping until, until the first real hard frost. I mean, that is what sets back these midges and effectively stops the EHD outbreak. Hmm. Um, and transparently, even though this is October 10th, we're far from it. Yeah. Um, you know, and so this is, you know, a couple of weeks after filming this, there'll be a lot of deer between now and the time this thing ceases to hold up, um, that are going to fall victim, you know, and, and, uh, most of the time you can, you know, I was actually going to do a poll and I, I never got a chance, but, um, it'll be interesting in comments to hear, you know, if people are finding it this year and you don't have to tell us like County specific, but like what state are you in or, or part of the state are you in that, that you're finding it? Um, and most of the time the state agencies do a pretty good job at, uh, putting out press releases where it is being found. I wonder, um, is there a check-in? Like, is there a... No, it's just reports. Man, I think that would be helpful. I think people would probably take advantage of that to see where EHD's mm -hmm. at, like to, just to check in. Mm -hmm. say, some hey, of the, found, found some of the states do, uh, pretty good mapping systems when they do find it, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of grading colors of like density of where they found the deer versus like a, a few spotty ones. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at most of the Midwest, uh, even into the Northeast a little bit here, Ohio, Pennsylvania, especially, um, we probably all are vulnerable for it here in the next two to three weeks. Um, just because of the conditions that we've experienced from, you know, beginning of May until now. Yeah. Um, 
So it is what it is too, man. I mean, it's, it's one of those things, you know, like a wildfire where it's like, man, it's devastating while it's happening. And it's, you know, kind of probably can seem like there's no mm-hmm. end or no, no hope, you know, in some cases, but like, um, you know, some of the biggest deer have gotten killed, uh, you know, whatever it is, several years after an EHD breakout, just because of uh, the reduction of the herd size, um, you know, mm-hmm. in general, you know, the, the maximizing of resources, you know, thereafter. Yep, to the individuals left behind. So that's, you know, I, I suppose the silver lining of the situation. But doesn't um, make this season feel any better. No. no. So um, we're going to we're going to get into that, uh, you know, and, and I know Skip's, uh, you know, mentioned some potential remedies, you know, mm-hmm. or, or like prescribe some. uh some things that they've been doing, at least. Some uh, preventative measures, mm-hmm. I guess, that you can, you know, can take for, for that. And uh, so I'm, I'm anxious to hear on that. And the other thing is, uh, it's funny, dude, I had probably 10 more more people send me that article yesterday that I sent you on the uh, Minnesota crossbow, crossbow thing. harvest. Mm-hmm. Just everybody's, you know, firing it off. Mm-hmm. And so um, it, um, th- this year, 2023, as Minnesota opened up, mm-hmm. you know, the general archery season to, um, to crossbows. Mm-hmm. Um and 40 percent i think immediately like at this point so after the first week or so we're first whatever uh for yeah 40 percent of the archery harvest has been has mm-hmm. been crossbow and uh i don't maybe we'll even read that article you know when we get into it here it, it, it's an interesting one we're gonna get into some of the state stuff i'll i'll lay my little <laughs> rant on and it won't affect anyone obviously you know uh, we're in Pennsylvania. One of the things Pennsylvania just released, uh, the game commission just published is, um, and as stupid as it sounds, we have three Sundays that we can hunt this year. That's it. You know, so if, if you're not familiar from last year, nope. Same. Same. Uh, so if you're not familiar with Pennsylvania, we can't hunt Sundays. It's a blue law, literally dating back into the 1800s. Um, and so we have three Sundays that we can hunt. One of those Sundays is November the 12th, which is, uh, archery season, deer archery season. Uh, I think also archery bear season in in many cases. One of those Sundays is the first Sunday of rifle season, uh, which also makes sense. The middle Sunday, however, uh, and I didn't pay attention to this until I I saw it and started actually looking at it, is uh, Sunday, uh, November 19th. Okay, so in between the other two. So essentially it's three Sundays in a row. All right. The problem is, is Sunday, November 19th, is out of archery season for 90% of the state. The only part of the states that are open uh, on Saturday the 18th and Sunday the 19th are the urban zones around Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. You're you're sure on that? Positive. I did this research. The rest of the state closes on Friday the 17th. In the history of Pennsylvania, we've never closed any season on a Friday because everybody hunts Saturday. It's when you have time. Was that done intentionally to give an extra Sunday to the urban zones? Uh, no, I think it was, first of all, I don't think it was thought out at all. Second of all, I think it was thought out to, well, there's small game that people can hunt or they can do other things. But the majority of people in the state want to hunt deer. And so uh, yeah. you're going to end. <laughs> give a damn about squirrels. And, and for us, <laughs> uh, it's we come home from Kansas that day. Okay. So Saturday, we come home from Kansas and archery season is closed in 90% of the state at that point. Mm. I, and it's um, usually open for another, through the weekend? Uh, n- so the way that they have structured it from this, ex- they've done an extension recently in the last two or three years to include that week of November. Okay. But the fact that they're ending it on Friday, I, I could tell from the comments I read, there were a lot of people that hunted Saturday last year and had no idea that it was actually, the, the season was closed. Because it was the same last year. It was closed on that date. So your beef is that that Sunday that they're allowing is not good for anything, essentially. Correct. Yeah. 
and yeah, hmm. has has no value. Like, really, you're gonna who does, who decides on when that is? Is that the game? Those commission are game commission. That, it is. Yeah, that's game commission. Mm-hmm. Wish they'd come on and talk to us about it. <laughs> yeah, so I've got beef around that, and 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 partially because the way that they advertise it is, hey, Jared, here's the three Sundays you can hunt deer this year. That was the post that went out, social media post that went out. And you can, but it's got to be in an urban. It's to be as part of that. To be, well. uh, I forget five something or not to be. Yeah, over in in the uh, in the Philadelphia area too. So uh, it's funny, dude. How many people I've heard talking about that giant <clears throat> in Manesson? Yep, just waiting for somebody. Yeah, he's to, dead. Just waiting for somebody to poach it. It's like yes. I already. I can see the headline already. Already might have been poached. I could just wait. I yeah. can't tell you how many people have told me about that. Every, I'm like, yeah. yeah, that's one. They're like, that's it. That's Effe- giant. Effects of social media right there. Yeah, yeah. That deer would have been lip tight sealed, and then now everybody and their brother knows about it. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. Anyways, that's my rant, but I'm bringing these guys on. Yeah. Rant some more. Let's roll. Hey. Welcome, guys. Hi. How's it going? Good. Skip. Hey, fellas. How are you? Word. How's it? Great. You? Doing good. Sorry, had a... A small opening uh, rant there. We try not to do those too much, but it uh, happens. I'll ask our audience too as we get rolling here. Just to, so we have, uh, you know, both Chris and Skip on remote here. Um, so I know four people is, is a lot to begin with, but with you know different, uh, you know, all calling from different places. Just just bear with us with you know audio levels and um, you know hopefully it's it's bearable. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. We okay. were experiencing some uh, some difficulties, so be easy on us. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. So, well, uh, you want to start? You want to go ahead? Yeah, I, <laughs> I I would like to start. So, uh, you know, I think maybe just even piggybacking on on my on any initial last remarks kinda, there on what did we did we miss anything with the intro there? Well, no, I think um, I, I do think that the Minnesota crossbow thing is is pretty intriguing, and um, you know, the the instant defense I think for a lot of people is going to be well, those deer probably would have been killed anyways with compounds. Um, yeah, maybe that is what the state is saying as well. It, are they? Yeah, like they're literally saying that same thing. Here, if I if I can, I, I'll just I'll give a brief brief overview here. Uh-huh. Like, so it's on Outdoor Life. It was written by a lady named uh, Katie Hill, mm-hmm. and the title is uh, "Crossbows Comprise Forty Percent of Archery har- Archery Deer Harvest in Minnesota." And that was like ten days. They've in been something. legal for ten days. So that's yep. it's in the title. Mm-hmm. Uh, cro- and the subtext is uh, crossbows continue to take over archery seasons in the Midwest. So I, I don't know out of the gate what Katie's. Uh, approaches or you know we don't know katie don't know her role or anything Mm -hmm. but um minnesota's first ever crossbow season is off to a roaring start uh, as evidenced uh by the nearly 1800 i'm sorry 800 deer that crossbow hunters have harvested since the archery opener on saturday or uh, sorry on september 16th um the minnesota uh, department of natural resources shared the statistic with minnesota public radio news uh, on Sunday, pointing out that those 790 deer comprised around 40% of the archery deer harvest so far. Prior to this fall, only hunters over the age of 60 or those with disabilities could legally hunt with crossbows during archery season in Minnesota. The MDNR announced the change, which happened during the 2023 legislative session on June 6th. Crossbows are now legal for spring turkey hunting, too. Minnesota is the latest state to make this change. Northeastern states like New Jersey and Connecticut, which the NDA routinely uh, led the nation in percentage of deer hunters who archery hunt, legalized them over a decade ago. 
yada yada. Some states have legalized crossbows in hopes of increasing deer harvest amid ballooning populations. Oof. Although that strategy has uh, varying degrees of success, MDNR big game program leader uh, Barb Keller tells NPR News. So she's saying it's had varying level of uh, success. Coincidentally, of Barb was also at uh, Missouri Department of Conservation during the CWD outbreak. Substantially due to this. Did they say how many deer have been killed this year so far more than last year? That seems like the critical I don't number. Th- I don't think it says more. I mean, that would be the critical number, right? It says, as evidenced by the nearly 800 deer that crossbow hunters have harvested since the archery opener, and that's 40% of them. Yeah, but they don't say that we're up. So there's going to be roughly two. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily. All it says is she doesn't anticipate. Well, it does later on. Um, I guess it says... uh, They don't think that it's going to account for more deer? Yeah, so she goes on to say, I'm not really anticipating that our overall or total deer harvest is going to change substantially due to this. And that's based on what other states have seen that have made this change, Keller said. I do expect we're going to have a higher archery season deer harvest, so more people deer hunting over gun hunting. But many of those will uh, will be potentially people moving over that were traditionally firearm mm-hmm. deer hunters deciding instead to partake in this earlier season. Says this shift could uh, result in skewed antlerless harvest. Um, yeah, it just says maybe more does will get killed than, than usual. And Q Skip Sly. Hey, Skip, how... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> here, here, listen to this. I'm sorry to drag this article on. It goes on to say, as a 2019 crossbow... As of 2019, crossbows accounted for more than half of the archery harvest in 11 states. Uh, this is CJ Winnand told yeah, CJ. Outdoor Life contributor Patrick Durkin. Winland, a Maryland biologist mm-hmm. uh, who tracks bow hunting data, has recognized a trend over the years and one that Minnesota might be on the forefront of now, which is crossbows usually uh, become the archery weapon of choice within the first three years of legislation in a given event. Uh, where does the surge of popularity come from? First and foremost, crossbows usher in a diverse user group, experts say. Uh, they make hunting more approachable for young kids, older outdoorsmen, and women. Uh, hunters with disabilities and new hunters who lack familiarity. No argument with any of those, yeah. those and groups. And new hunters who lack familiarity or comfort uh, around guns. Similarly, for seasoned gun hunters interested in transitioning into archery hunting, crossbows offer a familiar feel. A stock against the shoulder, a trigger under the finger, <laughs> and a view through a scope. Uh, despite popular opinion, our testing shows that crossbows are not more accurate than top-end compound My bows God. at distances of 50 yards. Well, that article went to shit real fast. Crossbows do, however, have an edge at greater distances. They're also generally easier for someone with little to no experience to grab a crossbow and shoot accurately. A compound bow usually requires consistent practice to maintain accuracy. Uh, again, this is this is Katie Hill with Outdoor Life, not the Katie, words up Katie here. Katie started Jeremy. out pretty strong, in my opinion, and then she she fell off well, the wagon. Well, you know, there's just quick. a lot of you know facts and and statements made by the MDNR, uh, followed up by, unfortunately, you know, for them and for their decision, all too true statements about what crossbows really are, and the the community that it uh, affords. Skip, I'm going to let you say to. something in a second. The one thing that that kind of irked me, I guess, of the statement was. Um, uh, the I guess it's the transition of gun hunters to archery. It, it's not archery. That literally, for the reasons they said of you're saying trigger, you don't support their stop. transitioning. I don't support any <laughs> transitioning. I don't care how old you are. 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I don't. I think that right there kind of sums it up. The first part was fine. Kids, elderly, disability. I don't, women, new hunters. I don't have any problem with any of that statement. Um, but, but then the abled body transition from gun to archery, like you're not transitioning to archery. That's the bottom line. Mm -hmm. You're, you're transitioning to a different type of gun in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So anyways, sorry. There's my rant. What do you think, so, fellas, general feelings about that article? So when I read that, I said, uh, it's Katie Hill. Yeah. And I, I thought they also should put like, and also by Raven crossbows. They wrote that. Mm. I mean, these are the, the, this was written by them, just like the bills are written by Raven crossbows or some of the other crossbow lobbyists. Um, if I was Raven crossbow lobbyist, that's what I would write. But I mean, and I can make their argument. So, you know, th that article just leaves out so many, there's so many holes in that, in that article. It's so problematic. Well, here, here's a, here's a, here's a really quick thing, Skip. You might find this interesting. So if I click Katie, Hill, so we don't know Katie, she looks like a, you know, young, but you know, pretty girl. Uh, Katie Hill is a staff writer for outdoor life where she covers outdoor news, hunting, uh, conservation in the West. She was born and raised in the East coast, but relocated to Montana in 2019 to earn her master's degree in environment, environmental uh, journalism. She lives in Missoula. Previous work experience, mediator, freelance journalist. Hmm. Yeah, I, you know, it, and no knock to outdoor life, but being in the industry, no. we know that those, that manufacturers often pay for editorial coverage, but they don't want just a review on the product. They want things that are going to look favorable to the business. You think Raven Crossbows had an input on that article? Absolutely. I mean, these these are talking points or want some of the crossbow companies. I mean, this is um, this is their messaging and I hear their messaging. I see I know their strategy with with the states on how they go about wording things to get cross crossbows approved. Um, and it's their wording. And it's just like um, any company that's making an argument. There's valid points and they make valid points. I don't disagree with anything mm -hmm. or, or disagree with all of what they're saying. Um, it's just that they leave out the key points. And it's like, if I want to make it, if, and I was in sales for a long time, I mean, even as a kid do, you know, selling cars or something, I mean, there's ways to spin things. It's a sales pitch and you're, you're, you're trying to pick your best information and you're trying to leave out kind of the negatives. And then your competitor is going to pick apart your negatives. And you're, so you're only hearing one side of the story with that. And it's for sure bias. This is just like, just like the media we see today. And I won't go too deep into that, but do you say, you say, does the media have bias? Yes, it does. It does. It's very apparent if you have a little bit of intellect looking at this. That article has bias. There is bi If you just want to base it there, there's bias there. Sure. Mm -hmm. And some very good points. And if I were making their argument, if I were on their side, which I'm, I'm on no one's side as far as, um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a special interest by any means trying to get my agenda passed. But, but if that was my job, if I was, you know, representing, them I would say the same things I understand why they're saying it they're just there's just glaring holes with that that article mm. um and I I mean and real quick I'll just tell you what some of the glaring holes with that article are you know one glaring hole they don't bring up is the number one data point across the whole Midwest what is the number one issue hunters are facing what's the number one problems that even archery hunters are facing why access. are they quitting uh it's access to quality land <laughs> And so I talk to my friends in Minnesota and I say, hey, 
can you go all over and get archery access today before the season pass or before crossbow pass what, could you just get permission everywhere no. no no it was very 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 hard very restricted even in minnesota which has four or five six times the amount of habitat that iowa does mm-hmm. tons of woods way more woods way more timber and even there access is extremely tight so i talked to multiple it's because multiple, it's got minnesota's got people. the the, high, the second highest number of hunters in the country yeah so so if minnesota is struggling last year before this was put in and yep. the years prior to that with hunters finding access to land to archery hunt knocking on doors do you mind if i archery hunt no you can't we got too many hunters that it is, as it is mm-hmm. that was already a problem last year what happens when you throw more people into an already crowded archery season? Yeah. The kids, the 16 to 20 year olds that don't have any money that are just knocking on doors or the guy that's like, you know, I make 30 grand, I'm a mechanic, whatever. And, and he doesn't have money to lease land. And that's the majority of your hunters. That, that's your everyday man. That's the vast majority of people hunting. You know, it sounds great. Oh, I can use a crossbow. Yeah. When you don't have a place to go, what does it matter? And that's the glaring point they're leaving out of this. It's a glaring yeah. point. And there's there's many more, there's many more problems that this is gonna create on age structure, on people saying Minnesota's quality has just gone down the tubes in 30 years, which the data supports that. It has, it's sure. just tank. You know, num- number one or number two BNC state to an absolute disaster. I mean, it's a disaster. Um, so it's just gonna it's just gonna make that worse it's what's like, their gun season you know, length it's like 10 days or so 10 or 14 days probably and, and i talked to somebody yesterday who is involved in the, with the legislator um they're involved with outdoor groups in minnesota and he says you know really our gun season you know when you add in the muzzleloader in this season and that season it's like a month or a month and a half whatever i mean it's a huge long period yeah it's like you know just a massive amount of time to to shoot things with guns or, and now crossbows. I mean, and the first part is during the rut. I mean, that's what I heard Minnesota guys talk about to us in the past is they're like, our gun season opens up like at peak rut. It's insane. It's insane. My buddies, when I'm in the tree stand hunting, they're like, Hey, how's it going? And it's like November five or something like early in Iowa's bow season early. I'm like, Hey, I got a, I got a month of bow season left. Like, yeah, the rifles already started. And I think it changes a little bit each year. Um, but it's just, it's it's so sad what's happened in Minnesota and what's happened to those hunters. Um, and, you know, the folks, the folks that actually pick up the crossbows now and use them, I'm not blaming them. I'm not at all. Sure. I'm, bl- I'm blaming how how the crossbows got passed. There. Agree. And, and, you know, everybody wants to think just about today. And a feel good, make things easy. What what's going to benefit me well, today? Well, dude, Skip, it's 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 human nature. I, I know you're wanting to, as are we, really get across the point that like we're not demonizing crossbow hunters at, at all in, in any way. I, I think it's human nature for you know when uh, an easier path to greater success is allowed, is legal, is made available. Like you know, we're likely to to take it. You know, what I mean, most people evidence in you know in this report that we just read here is that like. Um, a majority of the archery hunters within the first three years of that legislation being put in place will default to that option um, because it's easier. It's, you know, because and it's legal. And it's legal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's- no doubt. I mean, we, 
We've seen that in Iowa too. I mean, you legalize straight walls and guys that are like, listen, I didn't want the straight walls. Sure. But they shoved it down my throat anyway. They just, okay, well, it's passed. I'll just grab my straight wall. I don't blame the hunters on this stuff. Yeah. And if you legalize something, I don't care what it is. If you legalize it, guys are going to do it. Well, and it's like They're you said, Skip, it. it's not so, even that they wanted it. I, I can almost retract. I mean, they didn't want it. Yeah. You could probably they go back. Want I'm going to say there was, there was no poll taken more than likely, but. Um, I, I can almost guarantee you, if you put it to the Minnesota public, who wants crossbows, you know, and you give this to, to people in the archery season, you know, it, it's it's going to lose. You know, it's going to be a less than a majority There's vote. There's the key. There's the key. And yesterday, I talked to people in the Minnesota legislature, people involved with the outdoor groups, and some some very serious, knowledgeable hunters who are, are great guys that really understand their system. And I'll just make it really short. I said, how did this pass? How did this pass? I said, were the hunters able to vote on this? No. Yeah. Uh, were the hunters able to fill out surveys that said they support it? No. Were the hunters the ones that supported the legislation? No. No. It was a couple of guys uh, who got who got with uh, a couple representatives. Some money was involved, and then that, the crossbow lobby got involved, and they tacked it onto some other bills. They slipped it through. Slipped it this through. wasn't able to have a public debate, and yep. you know. The, the hunters didn't ask for this stuff. It wasn't like all, most of the archery hunters got together and they had all these meetings and they, they had data that showed, you know, the hunters really do want crossbows during archery season. It wasn't like that. So again, I don't blame the hunters for utilizing them now, now that the, the, sure you know, the floodgates have opened, but, but I blame the process and it's, it's, yes. it's almost like, I don't want to quite use these words, but I'm just going to, it's just what pops in my head, but it's a corrupt process where, you know, the hunters and the citizens weren't the ones that decided this. It was special interest behind the scenes and they use typical political tactics to slide it through under the radar. And then people just wake up one day, hunters wake up one day that are just like, Hey, I'm just Joe small. I don't follow these issues real tightly. And all of a sudden they wake up and it's like, Oh, crossbows are legal. What the heck? Yeah. And a lot of them are going, dang, nab it all. How did this get through? This is a shame. It's sad. And I mean, I, I mean, this is the world I live in talking to hunters across the, hunt, the country. A lot of my neighbors are from Minnesota and they're frustrated. They're just like, how does it, how did this happen? This is sad. And it is. And it's like, I'm never going to hunt Minnesota, but I feel bad for those folks. Yeah. I, I think know, it's, I think it's, like it that, it's the rep, it's the representation that gets it right. And it's almost in any form of life, whether we talk taxes, we talk crossbows, doesn't matter. I mean, the fact is, is when this stuff comes down to legislative control, right? You'll hear everyone say, well, you, you know, got to pick up the phone and call your local representative and, and they represent you, the constituents. At the end of the day, you don't mean shit. Your phone call to them is not going to make enough of an impression for them to do something if there are other groups involved, crossbow lobbyists, whoever it might be, uh, to, to have those factors inside the house, right? Your one call or one well, petition from the outside that— We've we got a recent case study, and Skip, I don't—you know, or either of you guys, I don't know if you have, like, uh, intimate knowledge on this, but so baiting in Kansas was up for— I guess discussion or like something was going to happen. It was on there. the chopping block. They were going to remove it. They were going to kill it. Right. And, and just to flush out your point there about making phone calls is like, what happened with that? Did that get that, that got overturned? Right. So baiting is still legal in Kansas. What ha what happened with that? Yes. Yes. So that's a controversial one. I get it. And and I I understand both sides. And I'll just say this really quick before I make make a couple little comments on that. 
I've been around Kansas baiting. I've gone to Kansas for over 20 years. I've seen baiting. I'm not demonizing the people that bait. Um, sure. Oh, well, dude, I, sure, I do sure. believe... we've done it. We've gone to yeah, Kansas. Okay. We've baited. We've killed deer ever bait. We've all done it. Agreed. I do have a problem <clears throat> with the process of how they were going to take out the bait. It was simply done by a committee. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same way in how crossbows or, or any of this bad stuff gets passed. It's done behind the scenes. It's done with in a small room and then, and then the hunters wake up and they go, what, what got changed? Yeah. Usually it's for the bad, but you know, so what I would say on the Kansas baiting is, you know, yeah, I have an opinion on what are the ramifications of Kansas baiting and what has happened with Kansas baiting since I started going there 20 years ago and I'd see a few people baiting. I mean, it happened. I mean, I saw it a little bit 20 years ago, 20 some years ago. When I've been there the last five years, I mean, it's gotten out of hand. Oh, yeah. It's like, okay, it's still le- it was legal 20 years ago. It's legal now. Is there a difference on how it's utilized? Yeah, it's gotten, like, it's out of hand. It's out of control. And it's creating a lot of problems. Now, I still can understand both sides. And I'm respectful to both sides of this issue. I don't think it's fair, on, on the other side's behalf, the people who are for baiting, I agree with them. I don't think it's fair that the committees, a, a small committee, can just decide this issue, right? And say, you, you, no. And and I don't. On the other side of it, I don't think that it's fair that you know non-residents like me who go to Kansas, I shouldn't really have input on that. Same. And the guys, the guys who sell feed, you know, I sell this feed, and, and I'm friends with a lot of these what, people. I like them. What What was the motivation? Where Where did that come from? Well, the motivation was several things um what they're going to say is that it's it's based on cwd okay and 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 that's probably the most valid uh argument that we're going to have and i actually have some problems with that argument i won't get into that sure i don't necessarily buy it now i would argue that you know the problems that it creates with the habitat with the browse uh what it does now what it does to the hunting culture where it becomes a competition of baiting and then the outfitters are just using this sure. to churn people through and put and we want to have fast kills we want to churn people through and we want to get these people paying us three five thousand bucks and we want more and more and well, more the industry um, and social media you could probably point out and say that's the biggest driver of increase of use of baiting in, in any bait state yes i would so when you here, here's a key on this the kansas baiting thing and guys i and i got blasted by some people and i'm okay with it i mean i'm big boy it's fun it, it's it's interesting to have these debates as long as people do it respectfully mm-hmm. you know some people get out of control in the comments and i started reading the comments i'm like guys hunters us you guys gotta tone it back i mean yeah. it gets pretty ugly and it's like come on and i guess that's with anything on social media but um you know the 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 baiting issue in kansas uh, when you hear the people who support it, here's what I want everybody to pay very close attention to. When you look at who is supporting it, look who it is. When I look at the videos that are like supporting it, it's usually non-residents who, Hasht- who just hashtag know, Big and J, brother. I just want to go there and throw my yeah, yeah. yeah so We've I all seen go it. Out there and throw out my bait, and then I want to drive to Kansas, which is a luxury, and you know have my farm there, which I'd love to do too. I'd love to have a Kansas farm. Uh, so it's it's the non-residents mm-hmm. who are like fiercely don't take away my baiting. The second group it's the people who sell feed, 
uh, who make money off bait sales in any form. Sure. Um, and then third, it's the outfitters. Now, what you so those are the people who are fiercely against this removing of baiting. They're afraid. I mean, and I get it. I understand why they don't want it removed. Sure. That that hurts them. Yeah. But the people you hear, the people you don't hear from, that are fiercely against baiting, you don't hear from the regular residents making these these rants. Uh, on social media saying they're trying to take away our bait. It's not the regular residents of that state. And that's actually who needs to decide this. So it's not a committee. It needs to be the residents of Kansas. I don't live in Kansas. I should not have input as to whether you guys do have baiting or don't have baiting, whether I can get a tag there or I can't get a tag there. How, how much access you give me. That should need not be my decision. I want you guys to have that power, not me as a non-resident. Sure. You know, and that goes for any state. You need to prefer your residence, favor your non-resident, your residence over me, which is a non-resident. So it needs to be the voters mm-hmm. and the hunters and the residents of Can- Kansas that decide that issue. And if they were somehow to have, you know, a way to vote on this, a way for the hunters to get together um, to say, yes, we do want to continue baiting. That's how it should be decided by them. If the vote comes in and they say, we want to keep it great. Fantastic then do it. But if, the, but if the residents of that state say, no, we don't want it, here's all the problems with it, and it does create a ton of problems, then, you know, they should be the ones that decide that. It should not be the people who sell feed and the, the outfitters and the non-residents that have the driving force and that can get in these politicians' ears and these committee members' ears and give them heck. And then they say, okay, now we're not, you know, well, so we won't change it. Back it up, Skip, to, you know, and Jeremy was making a comment there about making phone calls to legislators and whether or not that has power. And then th- that led to our Kansas baiting discussion. Is do, do, what, do we know what happened there? Like, how, how did that get overturned? Was there just pressure from, like, uh, social yeah. media influence and, like— Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So so people in very—in um, the hunting world, in powerful positions with deep pockets— that have a lot of influence, that have loud voices. Um, and I agree with this. You know, they organized and they swamped these people. Mm. And they they just, I mean, they lit them up. And, you know, this is war that, you know, you, you want to fight, we're going to bring it to you. Yeah. And, and I'll take their side on that, you know, it shouldn't be this committee that decides it. I sure. agree with them on that. So, yeah. you know, th- they want to, you know, and I've got into it and, and behind the scenes, I've talked to these people who are on the other side of it. And, and once we talk for about one minute, we're on the same page. We agree. And I just say, listen, we just disagree on baiting. We mm-hmm. just disagree on the ramifications. Yeah, right. Here's all the detrimental parts of baiting. Here's why it's hurt Kansas in 20 years. And here's why it's going to make Kansas get worse and worse and worse. If we keep well, going dude, down it, it, does, because- it doesn't make those people or, or, you know, anybody in the discussion, you know, bad people. It's just, you know, it's like politics. It's like, oh, just because, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you tell me your stance on whatever uh, abortion or one of these like, you know, critical issues. Just like, oh, I I assume you're this type of person. You're this and you're that way. Like, you know, baiting is not necessarily that. Like, it's it's, it's okay to, I think, disagree on that one issue. And it's it's going to be different in parts of the state. My my good friends are for baiting. I have gone to their farms. They've invited me there and they, they bait. Um, they're great people. We disagree on this yeah. one issue. And the ones where I've actually picked up the phone 
um, and got to talk to them privately, even after it got a little heated on some things, yep. we're, we're still friends and we, we know that that's how, that's how normal adults are. Now your, your keyboard warriors that are sitting sure. in mom and dad's basement in their underwear, mom's making a meatloaf upstairs, you know, and they're saying these crazy things online. Yeah. You gotta disregard that stuff. Man, I uh, waste the time. I I do have to tell you though, like when when you're collecting a a paycheck uh, from a a comp, you know, a manufacturer of bait, you know, and that's and you're one of the loudest voices in it. I think we all know who we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. That that's a little distasteful to me. They don't care though. It is, and people don't. They don't don't pick that up. And I've called I've called them out on that, and I said, listen, hey man, you're my friend, but. Call spade a spade. You are in right. bed with so and so. This is well, your well. It just it it, it just re, it should remove you from that argument. Frankly, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but un- unfortunately, the way it, but, yeah, the way it's situated is the, the, their platform is looked at even higher because they have the voice, they have yeah. a pedestal, and people are just well, blind to the fact that they're receiving funds, and that's why they're saying what they say. Are they? I think it's pretty obvious I, right in the right in this post. I mean, it's hashtag Big and Jay, and here's a link. <laughs> I I think that they just don't. But, but pay people don't, people don't catch. It. Some people catch it. I caught it. Like, hey, we're against baiting. Call to action, and then it's tagged like yeah. all the supplement manufacturers. And I like these people, and some of them I use their supplements. So you know, so do we, and, and, and we know those them. guys. And I will tell you, yeah, I love them. I will tell you, I do. I genuinely believe it's not because of the paycheck. They they you know. A lot of the guys that advocated for that, I don't know. You don't think so? No, no. I don't. There's nobody is that passionate about. I need bait. Uh, some people are. No, they're not. <laughs> yeah. No, no, they're not. It's if okay, anything, so it's resistant to change. I have don't no government interference in how I do things. That's number one. Number two is I have a monetary benefit from it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Those are your two. So I. It's hard to differentiate the two though. Sometimes. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I talked to several in the Kansas legislator in from the Kansas DNR, uh, people who are really involved um, with hunting there, very serious hunters. Um, and loosely, the the dogs want to go outside here. Um, Sorry. The hunters don't want this. So, you know, and when I do talk to the hunters where I'm like, the regular guys that don't have the voice, that don't have the social media, that are just like, well, whatever. I'm a casual hunter. I'm not even getting a lot of them just don't get involved. Sure. But most of the res everyday guys, and here's where here's the key to this. Uh, most of the residents, if they were allowed to have all the information, see, have a little bit of a debate and vote on it, baiting would probably go away. Yeah. So the actual everyday guy uh, will will probably and, and again let them decide, but they're not actually for it now where i talk to a lot of people privately and this does need to be said and i'm not i'm not making a blanket statement and i don't mean this as an attack but here's a genuine comment i get all the time if people are just being real if they're just you know being honest with me quietly you're not you and these are prideful guys that are hunters you know alpha males that say dude if i can't use bait well i I'm not going to get a deer. I, yeah. I, I, that's what I do. And, and it, it's, it, I'll try and summarize it really quickly. They're like, I don't know how to hunt without it. It's really what they're saying. You know, that's how I hunt. And going back to like, Hey, I have to find the trails in the woods and the intersection and the terrain features, um, the mm-hmm. change and where the deer get funneled 
and hunt the natural patterns. I, I, I've never done that. Yeah. I'm so trained to just, this looks like a good spot. I'll throw a bait pile there and I'll put my, my tree stand upwind of it. Uh, that's how I hunt. These people don't know how to get back. Well, it's, it's not and, like there's no option. They're though, nervous Skip. about that. It's not like there's no option though. It's it's like okay, you know, there's there's kind of a fork in the road there. If if something like you know baiting, which which you know uh, creates an opportunity, is removed, you, you have the option to either uh, you know better yourself a, as a bow hunter, you know, and, and start to observe all these things that you're talking about, or you know, if if you're not quite ready for that or whatever, there's there's still gun seasons like. There's other options to be able to go out and, and kill deer. Yeah, but that's where your non-residents are against it because it's very hard to get a non-resident gun tag in Kansas. Yeah, very so hard. I've gone out. I've gone out to Kansas since 2000. I think it's 2001, and I have never shot a deer in Kansas. And we used to go out there every year. I, have, I and we'd go out three, four of us, my brothers. Uh, we take a buddy. We have never hunted on bait in Kansas. Uh, I've been around a couple buddies' farms that invited me that had bait on there, but every buck we've shot for 20 some years was not, it, there was not bait involved. It was simply learning the terrain, learning how the deer traveled, finding pinch points, whatever, scrape line, just obvious woodsmanship. And we filled our tags every year. I mean, not every year, but we, we sure. would get a buck out of, out of the three of us, two or three people would shoot a mature buck every year. We didn't need the bait. And, and, and I hear the the different discussion among the Kansas hunters. Well, you don't understand Western Kansas. Like I do. I've been all over that state. I've been to South Central. I've been to Western Kansas. I've been to Northeast. I've been to Eastern Kansas. I've been in areas where they have pivot irrigation um, and very, you know, and, and widespread deer. It's hard, but you know, I've lived it for twenty some years, and we can we've killed mature deer there. Um, Pretty much every year we've gone without bait. It can it can be done. Is it challenging? Yes, but I would argue that's what the hunting should be, and I think most people can agree with that. Uh, yeah, hunting hunting should be challenging, but at the same breath, they say, yeah, we got to be able to just throw bait piles out mm. because that makes it easy. It's just. Yeah. Chris, did you draw I mean, a muzzleloader tag in Kansas this year? Did I remember that correctly? I did. Did you go out early season? Yeah, I went down and it was it was pretty tough where we were at, but uh, I hunted with with, with an outfitter and uh, he was right half the hunt. Uh, we sat over bait, and the other half was just like over ag field. Yeah, but uh, it was hot and it was it was pretty tough. Did you see a bunch of guys in that early muzzleloader season out and about? Besides the people that were with him, there yeah. was uh, there was like seven of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't see anybody else. So the one thing that I think was unique in in our last year hunt in Kansas. Um, what, sorry, what part of Kansas? Just vaguely, Western. It was, it was like Eastern. more central. Okay. Yeah. So one thing I thought was interesting about our we hunt southeast Kansas. Yeah. Um, last year was the displacement of residents onto public land from traditionally seeing them on private land. Because the thing is, there's a lot of deer habitat in Kansas. Yeah. Lots of lots of cattle ranches, lots of habitat, lots of places that people probably have hunted, their families have hunted, the permission hunted. Um, you know, I I think crossbows have been legal for everyone since like 2013 or 14. Um, obviously the baiting impact, uh, no cameras on public land recently is another big factor, but you're seeing, I think more and more leasing of private land from non-residents. Uh, and I think that's displacing 
more and more Kansas residents onto public land. Uh, so I think, you know, skip to your point about the bait. I would say that most Kansas residents would say, man, if we got rid of bait, a lot of those places we used to be able to hunt, we probably would get back because the non-resident wouldn't want to come out here and hunt it. No doubt. The non-residents are clearly, people like me, are yeah, clearly going to want to go out there and buy the best farms and lock up the best farms. Um, and they're going, okay, every year it's a steady, and, and here's the problem with anything hunting, is nothing generally gets completely degraded overnight. I mean, sure. I've seen places like Illinois go down the tubes in about five years. Well, five years is still, it's a tick. You know, it's just a, it's a, a slippery, a slippery slope. And any of these things that change in hunting is a slippery slope. And that's why I just, I, I ask anybody who's listening to this, it's like, you know, been hunting for 10 to 15 years, really think of what's changed in 10 to 15 years, wherever you are, whatever state we're, we're definitely trending in the wrong direction on a lot of these issues. Mm -hmm. And these residents have in Kansas uniquely and other states too, every year they're just, yep, yep. I lost another farm, another farm, another yeah. farm. And then you say, how much access did you have 10 years ago? A lot. A lot. How much do you have today? I've lost most. And it's like, why are you losing all this access? And it's like these non-residents are fleeing their broken states. They're, they're failed states, and they're saying, I'm going to go to Kansas. I can buy low-priced ground with giant deer. The hunting in my state, all these failed states are coming from, Sucks. they suck. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to go there, and you know, all I have to do is put out feeders, set my bait, put my trail camera out there. Boom, I got it on my calendar. I'm going to drive 10 hours to Kansas, 5 hours to Kansas, 20 hours to Kansas, and it's all set up. Is a resident allowed to hunt there? The guy right down the road? No, 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 he's gone. Bye. And, and so, you know, you can only, it's a finite resource. There's, I mean, there's a lot of habitat in Kansas, but this is happening all over that state and it's happening on all, all the, all the good states really. Uh, and even the bad states, I mean, access is just tightening up for everybody. I mean, it's Michigan, why you, the worst state, Minnesota, it's why you the guys are tightening up around the country. You guys are so you know, on the defense here with Iowa, right? I mean, let's be honest. Iowa is one of the few states left that is like, you know, unmanipulated to, to a point. Um, yeah. It's not, yeah. So, but it's I, not like I, people I are trying. Are on, They're coming for it. Iowa and Kansas are both um, kind of in that same category. And, and some of the Kansas folks will say, or, or people will say, well, um, you know, Iowa doesn't have very many hunters and Kansas has less habitat. Actually, Kansas has more deer habitat. Yeah, for I mean, sure. The stats, it's, a, it's a bigger, it's a bigger state. And if you looked at the millions of acres of timber and then the prairie lands, which we don't have in Iowa, um, Kansas has far more deer habitat and it has lower, lower hunter density. And I, and everybody wants to equivalize everything like, like Iowa is equal to mm -hmm. Ohio or mm -hmm. Iowa is e equal to Wisconsin. We are a very, very unique state. We have less than 8% timber. And that stat's actually getting closer to 7% timber. And somebody goes, 8% timber? That's not very much. No. It's not. There's Most of our state's just wide open nothing, right? Is there Nobody deer hunts it. You know, if they do, they. I have buddies that are like, dude, we don't even have deer on my block. I see a, 
there's a family of does over there that might be one buck. That's so hard to fathom for for somebody not from Iowa, though. Like even Jared and I, who are not, you know, big deer guys, but to think like there's an entire block that is holding very few deer in Iowa, it's like, what do you mean? Like there's probably deer all over the place. Eight less than eight percent timber, and here's the key to that: is it's maybe you know the best of the stuff that people see on youtube whoa look at this this chris guy's shooting giants duncan man he is just <laughs> on giants it's that that ground that's represented to people across the country is maybe one percent of the state maybe because it's eight percent timber and i would say of that eight percent 90 percent of it's it's okay it's 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 decent you know my buddies who hunt that stuff they're like dude i saw 150s man you know, and I'm, I'm trying to get a crack at them. That's the reality. It's not, it's not amazing. Mm. So, so literally it's 1%, 1% of the state and it's a smaller state. So if you look at that and you say 1% of this state is amazing. And that's what everybody around the country thinks about is Iowa. Iowa's the greatest. And what they're thinking about in their head, based on what they see on YouTube and what they hear about, they're thinking about 1% of Iowa and that represents their whole feelings about Iowa. And that's why I was great. And it's like this 1% is what's representing amazing hunting. And it is, it's amazing, but it's still a very small fraction of that state. Hmm. So when that 1% is under attack in the sense that everybody wants to flood it, everybody wants to exploit it. Everybody wants to come there. We, we can't take this on. It's like floodgates that are just like, we're like holding it up and little things that you change. Like, yeah, let's let everybody have access to that 1%. It'll ruin. I mean, it's so fragile. It's it's incredibly fragile. It seems unnecessary. It seems unnecessary to like, you know, like what you say about like, uh, you know, uh, you know, high density, you know, you know, fleeing broken states essentially to to come to Iowa. It's like, yeah, I I was awesome. It's great. You know, and it's like, uh, it's everything that you said it is the 1% is anyways, but like, uh, some of these other states with all this other habitat could be as well. Like the, the only thing that it's lacking for the most part is, is age structure, you know? So instead of us all getting up in yeah. arms and, you know, waiting six years to draw in Iowa, why wouldn't we, you know, spend that time, you know, trying to make some of these other states, uh, you know, better, which uh, counterintuitive, but I think we kind of are all on the same page of like what makes a state better in terms of quality and of, and of access is making it harder. Yeah, hundred percent. And, um, I want to see the other states get better. I really do. And, you know, real quick, any, any, I want to make a real quick point. Anytime we're hearing opinions on uh, controversial issues, I really want to just, the hunters in general, re- really need to be reinforced to really think about the motives on who's saying it, why they're saying it, um, maybe who's behind the scenes that are either paying them, influencing them, And that's where I I just want to make this really, really clear. You know, I have been out of the hunting spotlight, kind of under the radar for decades. You know, hey, man, do you want to film hunts for us? No, I've been I on purpose. I've been very, very quiet for decades. Um, And and I'm I'm not an ego person. I don't care about that kind of stuff. But um, now, you know, I'm I'm 45. I have as much land as I need to hunt, I'm set. None of this stuff impacts me. Even if you ruined Iowa, I'm, I'm set. Um, I have no motivation here. 
to like, hey, you know, he's saying this stuff because he's going to benefit, you know, he sells this or mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, I don't have some hidden motivation here. Um, I'm doing this because I care. Um, I want to see people like me at from 15 to 22 that are just eaten up actually have access to good quality land. And right yeah. now they're just getting killed. Yeah. And so, so my motivations, I just want to make it clear. I, I have zero financial motivations here. Mm -hmm. And, and honestly, if we open the floodgates to Iowa, um, my land values would go bananas. Oh yeah, man. Of money. So Insane. I'm actually shooting. Yeah. So if I was a sellout or if I was a, um, just bought and paid for hack. I mean, I'd be like, yeah, let's, let's open the floodgates. And then I'd sell the land and sure. call yeah, it a if day. It was, if it was all um, about money. I don't want that. It's not about money. I, I don't care about, I literally don't care about money. I mean, and I, I mean, I literally had an offer. We will pay you to lobby at the Capitol. And I'm like, listen, I'll lobby at the Capitol. You're not paying me. I don't want any money. Um, I will pay my own money, you know, because I feel like, you know, if I can give back in a certain way, to help lobby or to, to support these different groups that are supporting hunters. Yeah. Um, it's my, that's, I'm just here to serve the people. I'm well, here to serve the hunters. Yeah. And I, well, all, all four of us are at different, I think like stages of, you know, everybody would dream to own, you know, a, a big chunk of ground in, in, in Iowa or a premium whitetail states. And like each of us do own farms, you know, some of us more mm -hmm. recently, we just bought our first in, in mm -hmm. Illinois. Um, but I think we all have like, we all have the same heart for like the, the sport, you know, you just shared, um, you know, where you're coming from on that. I mean, do, do the reason that Jeremy and I do, do the podcast is because is we care a lot about hunting and the future of it, um, you know, and the people that are involved with it. And so it's like, a weird spot, man, because I, I personally bought land in multiple States because I care about wildlife management and hunting so much like that that it's always been a dream to have that at the same time i i'm conflicted in that i know by acquiring those types of properties i'm restricting access to to other people it, it's a fact the, the you know so well you see that happening anyways though i mean one yeah. of the, the one of the biggest motivators for us to buy is you see access uh, diminishing and so we're like yeah. we need we need a piece limited resource Th there there seems to be no end in sight of the depletion of the of the resource in terms of access mm -hmm. so we we you secure your, we need your to investment secure a piece now yeah, yeah. and exactly. at the same time continue to fight for that to to slow or to stop you know we want everyone to have access it's not like we're buying stuff so it's all for us right the Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Hoyt Archery. Oh, dude, it's almost fall. You and I are both going to be in a tree stand with brand new Hoyt bows. We're going to be shooting the RX-7 carbon bow this year. I know Hoyt's also got the Venoms out, both equally smooth shooting quiet bows. Heck yeah, man. And we got a convert on our hands this year. We got a lifelong crossbow guy with a vertical bow in his hands for maybe the first time ever, a good friend of mine. And uh, we've got them all decked out with uh, the inline accessories uh, from the QAD integrated ultra rest uh, to the quiver. And also he's got the SL sidebar mount with a couple of stabilizers from Hoyt as well. So that's going to be a sick shooting bow. Yeah. And Hoyt's been cool enough that anyone listening to this can save 20% on any of the soft good apparels online using the code Hunter, H-U-N-T-R, no E. Uh, and if you want to look at the latest lineup of Hoyt bows, check out your local Hoyt dealer. Get serious, get Hoyt. Well, and that's, I think that's where it comes back to, it's a weird solution. So to kind of tie in a different state, <clears throat> there's this uh, story going around 
that there's about to be a uh, basically a raid on the Pennsylvania Game Fund. So Pennsylvania Game Fund includes all of our license revenue, but it also includes oil and gas revenues, which is how Pennsylvania Game Commission makes the majority of their money. Uh, in the last 18 months, that game fund has increased by almost a half a billion dollars because of oil and gas reserves and rights. So that happening, what's now come into play is the state legislator has said, wow, wait a minute, look at all this money the game fund has. We're going to take $150 million of that and put it into clean water conservation, which doesn't just benefit outdoorsmen, it benefits everybody in the state yet it's coming from a game fund that is primarily driven by hunters and outdoorsmen and so the fact is is that money should be used to improve current public lands and to acquire new access and new public lands and instead it's about to get raided and it's going to happen i mean it's it's almost inevitable that it's not going to happen and meanwhile, us as hunters are looking and saying, dude, you had a half a billion dollars in that fund. Why aren't you buying every piece of private land that goes up for sale out there to provide more access? I don't, I don't know if it's like public knowledge or our place to say, but didn't the PA Game Commission just get in trouble for spending, like misspending a they bunch did. of money too? In fact, it was a previous guest we had on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. He sponsored a sprint car for his daughter's boyfriend with the Game Commission funds and said that that was... Uh, beneficial marketing for the Pennsylvania game. Commission. Where did you find out about that? Was they put out an art press release? Oh yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Ugh. Yeah. Not, not, no bueno, but it, it, it comes back to the fact that access is the number one issue threatening hunting. And sure. People listen to this who have public land and say, well, you guys are leasing it. You guys are buying it. We are, we, we see that that limited <laughs> resource is going away and we want to secure our future and our kids future and our grandkids future. At the same time, the state, in many cases, has the funds to go out there and buy more access, more land, and, and they're not doing it, it right it, now. It also seems, though, like there's just, it's not clicking that, like, the the way, you know, without going out and buying land, buying more access, the, the way right now, like with legislation to increase access or perceived access or opportunity is to decrease these things that are making hunting easier. This is, you know, this is the conversation around the crossbows, the baiting, you know, the, the, uh, um, the cell cams to, to some degree. Mm -hmm. um, those are the things that make, you know, a thousand acre property or whatever, a hundred acre property, you know, hunt like I, I've got it covered. Yeah. I've got it covered. So here's an interesting one, Chris, because I know we've talked about it and Skip, I think we have as well. This was actually from a Matt Ranella podcast in that um, we talked about the CRP program. Right. I, I think Jared and I now included, I don't know about both of you guys, but we, we benefit from CRP funds coming from the farm bill uh, on a recent farm. And the question came up of, well, if, if access becomes such a major issue there, and, and of course some of us would not do it, but if you take CRP funds or USDA farm bill funds, should your property uh, be open to public access? Well, I, I know a lot of guys that if that was the case, they just want to enroll in CRP and Correct. plant their own prices right. and do it that route. So I, I don't think you'd see really anybody participate in that, even if they said that that's yeah. what I know we wouldn't. Do. And what would be more valuable is to the, to the conservation effort, right? It'd be more valuable to keep those in CRP programs. Um, so they, they can't do that, 
right? Because that's the easy thing. It's like, oh, if you're going to get federal money, well, then just open it up. Well, then everybody's going to say, well, forget it. I'm not going to put it in there. And you lose all the conservation value of that program. There's a very simple solution here. All right, Skip. A lot of things in government is common sense. So if your CRP rate is, let's make these figures are relevant, but I'm just making them up. Yep. If if it's 150 bucks for CRP. Yep. Okay, you have two options, Mr. Landowner. You can get $150 for CRP, and it's a standard program like it is now. Mm-hmm. You don't have. You're not obligated to do anything. Or you can do it for 165. Then you got to let the public access your land. Let the people decide. Hey, there's a little bonus mm-hmm. for. And that would be a co-op program, right, between people. the feds and the state. That. Yeah, that, that, that's just choice. That allows people to make their own choice. And therefore, if you have a farmer that's like, I hate deer, and I'm, I'm, I want the state to change because I hate deer, and it's 12 angry farmers, and they want to enroll in CRP, hey, dude, take the one with, you know, that's 10, 15 bucks more an acre, let the public come onto your ground, and they'll annihilate the deer. Let them choose. Well, even in so, some of these more popular I mean, states, so- like Ohio, for instance, like I've been seeing $50 an acre leases pretty consistently now. Have you? Yeah. So let's just say that somebody's got a hundred acres, right? At at fifty bucks an acre, you know. That's crazy too, could, and that frustrates me in Ohio. But I mean, because a lot of it is is dog crap. Like it's it's a pasture. It is next to a well managed property, and it's like the reason it's worth that is because I can go dump a corn pile and draw them out. Yeah, and so in those cases, it's like you know, should the should the state step in and start trying to lease, or is all that going to do drive prices up? Like it basically, if the state says, "Cool, I'll pay 50, does dude from Columbus say, "All right, I'll pay seventy-five. I don't care. Well, it doesn't matter to me," you know? And and you're in that well, war basically. It it would actually open up more acres, so it would supply and demand. You know, sure. I'm leasing ground because there's not much left. Um, so if the state opened more acres up, it it actually would relieve the demand for that land and prices would, would come down on basic economics. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just got to ask yourself, why is everybody wanting to lease this land up? Why are they paying $50 an acre experience? Because they're, 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 they're saying, listen, if I don't spend this money, I'm going to be on this crap land. My mm-hmm. hunts are going to get ruined. It's yep. overrun. I'm, I, I can't grow mature deer because everybody's out there for four months out of the year, shooting everything, every two and three-year-olds getting blasted. So I want to have something I can control so I have an enjoyable experience. Yeah. yeah. So that that's why leasing is getting driven. So we have to address the problem of why that, that influence to lease and that demand to lease is happening. And we need to address it. We need to fix it. Because... If, if I if I knew I could go to 20 different places around me, like it used to be, and get access pretty easily and have quality hunting all around me, I wouldn't lease. Who would lease if you said, hey, yeah. and I wouldn't go buy land in multiple states if I said, yeah, I live in Pennsylvania. It's actually got a great balance aid structure. The hunting quality is great. It, on most farms, it's good quality. It's great hunting. You wouldn't have the demand and the reason to go to these other states to buy ground. So we got got to address what is driving this. What is driving people to lock up land? And it's all these crazy regulations, and it's the direction that hunting hunting has gone for the last 20 years. And I tell you, if we keep going in this direction for 20 more years, 
I mean, we're looking at Europe. And oh, we're it'll be, it'll absolutely model. be the European model. If you don't own private land, yeah. you basically either won't be able to hunt at all or your hunting experience will be absolute dog shit. Man, I, dude, the, and, I, and that's why I want to catch it now. I, yeah. I can't necessarily draw like a, a straight line. It doesn't totally that make sense to me. But if I, if I were to put my tin foil hat on mm -hmm. like for a minute, dude, it, it almost seems like the 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 people that are advocating right. for, uh, you know, the, these liberalized seasons, like you know, th the new crossbow seasons and stuff, it, it almost seems like they're trying to ruin hunting by by I, by they, by, yeah. by make it by providing that. That, that's where it's like for, for for most hunters it's like you won't see it it's just like oh yeah you know now we have more opportunity but the reality of what happens with all these things is hunting just becomes worse because the recess the resource gets overutilized and over a long term hunting sucks you know it's like the experience yeah. the, the quality of the experience is decreased for everybody and then you know who's left to fight for it you know well i think i think what's interesting is it's it's a perfect storm doesn't it seem that way yeah it, it's a perfect storm of things coming together so it, to kip's point about kansas and, and i'll even take the uh, the ohio defense here is you know crossbows and baiting have been legal in ohio for as long as i can remember mm -hmm. i mean I, I don't know when those legalizations came in but it doesn't seem like it's been like a rearing head issue until recently. Well, the, the industry has to be given some responsibility for that. But there undoubtedly is like a, maybe a higher demand for, you know, big high scoring gear than ever before. Um, and I think those uh, regulations and, and rules and stuff that were in place are now being um, maximized, not manipulated, but, uh, you know, fully taken advantage of, mm -hmm. you know, to the point where, you know, and people with money can you know, re really take advantage of those to, uh, hoard the resource, you mm -hmm. know, and then everybody else is kind of like on, you know, having a, a shitty experience basically. Yeah. I wish you could put a thumb down on like when that turn happened. Right. Like, you know, well, I, I hunted a little bit out of state when I was even in college. So Facebook, I, I got on Facebook in 2003, probably when I was in college. You know, and so at that time, I mean, again, besides watching hunting shows on TV or getting magazines, like I didn't even know people were killing big bucks in Iowa. Like it was oblivious to me. Um, at, you know, at some point there in that 2005 to 2010 or 12 time frame, like things turned on its head pretty quickly. Chris can speak to this. I mean, he's lived here uh, right in the middle of, um, you know, a very, very good hunting region. I mean, Chris, explain like in 20 years, has it changed drastically the access? The, I mean, just the, the whole dynamic of hunting, what's happened in 20 years is, is astounding. And Chris has lived in the epicenter of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it went from in 2000 where you could knock on any door you wanted. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter if you were from Iowa or from, you know, a different state you could hunt you could knock on any door in some of the best deer habitat in the entire world and uh and get permission and honestly like there would be guys that would would literally tell you like why are you even asking me right now just like go just go deer, you know, mm -hmm. whatever and then um i did not I, I will tell you like in the counties that i've lived in my entire life so like let's just say primarily monroe county and marion county um I did not see really any, I guess, outside pressure until the Albia buck got known. And, and, and I don't know if it was just because of that, but then as soon as that deer got shot and, uh, you know, it was everywhere. Which deer is that? 
Which year is that, uh, Chris? The, the Lubston buck, Tony Lubston shot the world record back in, I don't know. Oh, what see, year I didn't even, I didn't even know about that. 2003, uh, I shot at youth season and this deer was like right on the edge of city limits of Albion. Mm. And, and as soon as that happened, then there was just quite a few non-residents that started coming here. But I think part of it too, and Skip could probably attest to this. I know a lot of the guys that are here now, they said that they saw the writing on the wall as well in the States that they were from sure. and they wanted to get out because they saw what was happening there. And they're like, dude, Iowa was like so far behind the times. And then it was like from 2000 from like that, when that deer got shot to 2010, it just was a snowball. And then by the time 2015 hit, it was, everything was getting leased. Wow. And now um, there is, there's places you can go get permission. You can go ask a hundred, you can go knock on a hundred doors and, you know, depending on who you know and whatever else, like you might, have five people say yes. Uh, but then also those farms typically are going to have a lot of other individuals on them that are hunting as well. So it's really starting to get to a point where it's like, you know, you got guys like skip and a lot of these other landowners and, you know, I own a small, small, very small piece, but, um, guys are like grasping for straws now. Like guys like me are like, Holy crap. I I'm getting to the point where I, I can't find anywhere to hunt. I'm a local. So yeah. I have to sacrifice things right. to get land so I can have quality hunting because I don't want to be on the outside looking in. And I feel like this snowball just like is just flying down this hill and it's to the point we are now. And I think there's and, a lot of, I think there's a lot of reasons as to why that is. I don't want to blame it just on that deer getting shot. I don't want sure. to blame it on, you know, TV well, media no. or anything else. There's a lot of reasons. Well, So I'm probably younger than everybody. So I'm 30 and I can say that as long as I've been, you know, uh, taking in like hunting media and like so you know so in college i started with like the midwest whitetail stuff even before then i would watch you know uh you know the, the bone collectors the real trees you know the monster bucks like all that stuff as long as far back as i can remember um you know it's all it's always been iowa you know what i mean that mm -hmm. was like it was just kind of the known thing it was like it's, it's yeah but I, I think that was that 2007 10 time frame because like when i was growing up it was yeah. it was it was honestly illinois and it was Texas. Like those were the two things that you constantly yeah. heard of as people were killing giant bucks in South Texas on these big ranches, or you heard about Illinois and guys like Stan Potts and stuff killing giants in Illinois. Yeah. Um, I mean, Iowa was mentioned, but not nearly to the level as like, you know, right. it, to me, Illinois at that time, like, especially in like the late nineties, early two, P Pike County was kind of like, that was the place. Like, you know, that was the, the heaven's gates of, of whitetail hunting. So I would say Iowa is 20, maybe 25 years behind uh, the state I'm from, Michigan. So it was 95-ish when I started hunting and I was maybe 14 and I saw the handwriting on the wall. I mean, leasing was going on in 1995 wow. in Michigan and you, you can't hunt here and drama between hunters, you know, this is my spot. Um, I saw this coming in 95 and... <laughs> When I was a, a very young kid, my uncle had a very small piece of ground. I mean, mediocre hunting at best. And where I grew up, I would argue, is the worst hunting anybody could ever imagine. I mean, as bad as it gets. And so I want to explain that. I've been all over the country hunting, multiple, multiple states. Everything from the very worst, which I grew up with, to the very best. And everything in between. So I've, I've kind of got to see it all. 
which is a blessing. Um, and I saw it coming in 95. So, you know, we had no money. We had seven kids in our house. We, we didn't, we were broke. And parents just said, if you want to have land, you better start saving. And I started saving, maybe it was 94. Uh, when my uncle died and the family sold his little farm and I had nowhere to go and like go to state land and I'd see no deer, no deer for a whole week. I'd see not one deer and I'd see all other hunters. Well, I started saving then saying I have to buy land, you know, and I'm part of the problem. That's like, yeah, my goal is to buy land to restrict access for somebody else. I'm, I'm part of the problem. We're all part of the problem in some regards and we got to admit that, but, um, Michigan, this, this stuff was going on long ago. And I said, good gosh, I, it's not sustainable. I know how this ends. And guess how Michigan ends? Here's the data. Michigan ends by adding every season, every weapon. Mm -hmm. uh, access goes down the tubes. You know, everybody ties stuff up because they're like, oh, my gosh, they are liberalizing this. There's another another gun season. They allow crossbows. They allow all this stuff. Everybody just ties stuff up with the guys with a little bit of money or my family owns this farm. They just lock it up. And what happens is here's the end. The end is in 25 years or 20 years, over a third of the hunters just quit. Yeah. And it's the new hunters. People say, no, it's the guys dying off. No, this has happened forever. People die off. Yeah. New hunters take it up. The new hunters are quitting. So they've lost Michigan. They've lost a third of the hunters in 20 years. A third. And guess what? Iowa's following behind that. We're just behind. And and all these other states, the more you make all this other, allow everything. Four months a season. Everybody needs four months to shoot deer. Oh, this is legal, so it's great. You know, legalize everything. It's gonna be like Michigan. We can see it. We can. We know how this movie ends. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, we can look at Michigan and go, "What's the result? The hunters quit. And well, it's the so, new hunters that quit." Skip. It's it's worth asking because we kind of fleshed this out uh, with Matt Ranella when we had him on. It's like, and then what? You know. So you know, once they quit, if a third of hunters quit, you know, Matt would look at that and say, "Good." Great. You know, good. You know, more, more for us, you know, so I ask you the same question, you know, and then what? Yeah. So, I mean, I get it. There, there is a, um, there's a point where these, here's the frustration is, is there's these ground, there's all this ground that just gets locked up where it's like, Hey, there's a big parcel and only two or three guys hunt it. And then there's all these other parcels where the regular guys, us little people have to hunt. Uh, and they're overrun. So the the little guys, the guys who are, you know, younger, don't have money, that just have regular jobs, they're going, hey, everything I, I'm hunting is crowded and it's degraded. I wish there was less hunters. Yeah. And they're not, you got to think of both sides of this. Why is it so degraded? Why is there so many hunters? And is there really more hunters? There actually isn't necessarily more hunters. It's just that they've been, they've been dislocated from the big farms, the good farms, and now they're condensed on all these mediocre farms and there's just more competition. Well, it's pressure. also that they go from well, like a happens? fairly condensed gun season to, you know, a long-term crossbow season, you know? Yeah. It's going to seem yeah, like there's a lot more people in the woods. So, so when, when the, the mediocre farms are just getting worse and worse and worse and more crowded and more crowded and more crowded, what happens? Eventually a certain part of that, those hunters just say, I've had it. Yeah. I've had it. This stresses me out. I'm sick of bickering with this hunter. I'm sick of fighting with my spots. I'm sick of my hunts getting ruined. I'm sick of this guy that comes in here and just shoots every single buck I pass, which he has the right to do, but it creates a problem. Mm -hmm. And all the, all the young bucks get shot and, the, and, and it's just a downward spiral. 
So, so naturally, the end result and the data supports this is that people just say, I quit. I'm done. The guy that's 20 years old that's like, man, I love this stuff. He goes, you know what? It's a pain in the butt. I'll go, I'll go drink with my buddies now and, and go party. I'll pick up a different hobby, whatever. They just say, I'm done with it. They mm -hmm. hang it up. And that's what's going to happen. The writing is on the wall. It is not the anti-hunters that are going to ruin hunting for us. It's ourselves. It's, it's not even the hunters themselves. It's the special interests, which are pushing all this garbage in that's making it so people lock up land. It's diluting it. It's diluting the experience. Have, yeah, it, I, I have nowhere to go, so I'm hanging it up. And when you, when each state across the Midwest, across the country, when you destroy your residents' desire to hunt and your residents' ability to have access to good quality land, they will quit. Your economy in that state for hunting will go down. Well, the non-residents spend a lot of money, not even close to what the residents No, spend. The residents buy all their equipment there. They live there year-round. They pay taxes there. Um, you know, when I go to another state, I bought my bow in Iowa. If I go to Kansas, I, I didn't buy my bow in Kansas. I don't buy my equipment in Kansas. Right. You know, I'm, I'm, my economy, the, the, hunt, the residents support that state's economy. And when you, when you kill the resident hunters, you're going to kill the economy. You're going to kill the ability for for the residents to control deer numbers when people say who's it's not the non-residents that are going to control deer numbers in any state it's not they're they're going there to shoot a buck which is a luxury the residents are actually there saying no i'd like to shoot some does a lot of them and some residents might say well i'll shoot does they're not going to do it like residents do. Mm -hmm. residents control deer numbers in any state and we're shooting we're shooting ourselves in the foot by shooting i mean it's the residents are the ones we need to cater to in every state to make sure they have the best quality experience over the non-resident every time. And it's the residents of each one of these states, the regular day guys, the everyday hunters, the new hunters that are 15, that are just eating up, that, that love it. They're the ones that I want to make sure have the best experience, and they're the ones being hurt the most here. See, that's, so that's where... Those are the types of people I care about. That's where, and I know people have been super critical of me saying this, but I don't really give a shit. That's where I'm very critical of the R3 programs for... I don't care if it's an NGO or state agency. R3, whatever. The R, R1 specifically, right? Well, I mean, it's it's R3. I mean, it's, it's retention, reactivation, recruitment. Oh, the, in that order? That is the thing. Okay. But it doesn't matter what order you say it. The, the priority for any of these groups is recruitment. That's what they're out there to do. Sure. I would bet that if you had visibility into the dollars spent in those buckets, the vast majority of money is recruitment. Yeah. Recruitment, 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 recruitment. Reactivation, probably very, very little. It's probably, right? it's probably because it's the easiest to do. Like it, it's easy for us to sit down and say, no, no, no. How do we want it's to recruit? Not even the, new it's hunters? not even the easiest. Retention to do. is hard. That's it's, what this whole conversation it's the, is. It's no different than hunting an opportunity. It's the success, right? If I recruit new hunters, I did my job. I got new hunters. They mm -hmm. came in. That's what I mean, right? Yeah. What they are failing at miserably is retention. Mm -hmm. They don't give a shit about us existing hunters. Right. For the historical backwards facing society of hunting, right? Recruitment was natural. You retained and you had families of hunters, you had traditions of hunters, and new people came from those groups of hunters. They just were bred from them. I, I, I would err on the side of I don't think it's as intentional. You know? Oh, I think it's 100% intentional. I think it's more that they don't know how. No, yeah, no. I think because our whole conversation here is about how I do we retain? I think they're just ignoring it. 
The it's, it's, it's both. It's both. There's they, they pass these laws and they don't, just like any political movement, they, they do these things and they don't think about the unintended consequences. Wow, that sounds great. We can sell crossbows. We can make some money on the short term. What's the dynamics here? And the retention, the retention is where we're losing. Absolutely. And we're bleeding. All these new things. So, hey, man, we got to add crossbows to it. We got to increase the seasons. We got to make it easier for these kids to shoot things. Opportunities. Um, we got to do all these things. Yes. So what this is doing is there's another group we need to pay attention to. It's the group of capable people who can buy land, who want quality hunting. They are feeling threatened. And you might not like these people. You might have a bit of jealousy towards these people. I maybe have fit into that category when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Oh, God, that guy has all this land. But we have to understand the reality of it. You cannot like them. I don't care if you don't like them. But they're going to continue to buy up land when when the legislator comes out and says hey we snuck this through we sold out to the crossbow lobby we let Ra raven pass this stuff because we get great donations from mm -hmm. them we're just going to sell out and we're going to make a few bucks well it's going to push the retention out all the hunters all the new hunters are just and the data supports this they're just going to hang it up they're going to say i don't have anywhere to go that's great you gave me crossbows that's great you gave me uh, all these ways to kill deer, and I now it's half the year I can shoot them. I just don't have anywhere to go. That's this it. crossbow is great. Look at this crossbow; it's fancy. It was two thousand bucks from Raven. I just have nowhere to shoot it. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything to shoot. I can shoot it at a target now because I lost permission on all my farms because the guys with some money are sitting here. And and we have to think about this: the guys with money with capability. This is what goes through their mind. I know these people. I mean, maybe I am one of these people too. We're more part of the problem. But in, you, we, we just have to understand whether you like them or not. Their mindset is this. If I don't buy up ground, good quality land, and lock it up, I'm done. We're, it is becoming so much harder to have a balanced age structure, to have uh, a land where, where everything isn't just shot at a young age. I, I want to have a good quality, good quality experience, and these people are going to put limitless amounts of money into locking this up. Mm -hmm. And the more they feel threatened by all these bad rules, by all these new weapons, longer seasons, uh, more people doing stupid things, or, or just you know maybe not even making the best choice and they don't even know it, they're just going to lock up more land, and that's going to push out the new people. So yeah. all these things that sound great. Oh, it's opportunities for everybody. It will create groups of people, even middle class people are like, I'm going to struggle. I will I will drive a junk car so I can buy a piece of ground because I'm so concerned yeah. that I'm not going to have quality quality yeah. land. A hundred percent. We're and talking to three guys who are in, in that problem. situation, you know. Dude, I, I do think it's, and I'll try to get this out in a way that makes sense, but I think it's important to differentiate, uh, you know, the, the, the two main resources, you know, that are at play here. So, like, we, we have, you know, land you have land and and you'd say you know access to land you know there's there's only a certain amount of it um the one that i think is most affected by like all of these regulations is um is the resource that live on the landscape it's, it's the deer population itself um you know and and the age, age structure within it and stuff it's like that is the reason that all of us would be motivated to buy more land like that seems like the option it's like okay so if, if more of these deer get killed all around us we need more land to insulate ourselves from that happening and in turn it seems like it would almost be more effective to directly attack the things that are affecting that population 
um, so that we don't need as much land or the land that we do have, we can be more generous with. Mm -hmm. Because I can say firsthand, you know, at any stage, and you skip it, all of us probably are in the same way here. We're like, man, we are buying land to insulate ourselves from these things that are happening around. So we still have good hunting opportunities. We can, we can maximize, you know, the, the deer population that, uh, make their mm -hmm. way across this, this piece of land that I own. If that resource was greatly improved, if there were more deer of a higher age quality, you know, uh, you know, just, just better, better deer hunting, we wouldn't be nearly as motivated to buy more land. And we would be far more likely if we own land already to let people participate in that. You know, it's just because the resource is so limited that we feel like we have mm -hmm. to hold on to anything that we've got. Mm -hmm. And that, that sucks. I mean, that, that seems to me like that's what's happening with, you know, things like the crossbows getting through, things like now, you know, baiting being manipulated and stuff. It's like, if you could remove those things, it would inherently increase the quality of the resource that lives on all of this land. All of a sudden, you know, per your supply and demand thing, uh, there's not nearly as much demand for me to gobble up all the land. In fact, there's an incentive for me to, you know, share what I have because we want, you know, people to, to continue hunting and mm -hmm. people have good experiences. And now we have that to give. Mm -hmm. But people aren't, I don't think, inherently selfish in a way where we have to have all of the hunting land. You know, I know, I know that's, that's what hunting is. That's what sportsmanship is. No, we I want mean, that's, to that's share that experience with of people. the resource driving that feeling amongst many of us hunters. And that many that of is us the reality hunters. of what's happening, you know, in things like Minnesota they think that they're giving more opportunity, but in reality, they're doing exactly what you said, Skip, is those people who are able and willing to buy up the rest of the land to insulate themselves from that nonsense um, are just going to continue to do so. And everybody mm -hmm. else is going to lose out on opportunity. That's in what the happened in Europe. That's what the European model is. The European model didn't want that resource to be taken advantage of by all of the people across the landscape. So they basically said, here's my area. I'm going to insulate myself from everyone else. I can hunt it. I can invite people to hunt it, but nobody else can come hunt this resource. And they privatize the resource. We're, we're very the, well on our the, way dude, to there, privatizing the there resource. There is plenty of deer out there. It's a replenishing resource. They make more of them every single year. Go it's ahead, limited, though. It, 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 yes, they do make them. Go ahead, Chris. It, I, I was going to say is that now that it's gone down that road, like at the end of the day, um, someone's going to own that land, right? Whether you buy it or not, someone's going to own that land and there's a dollar value on the white-tailed deer and it's Absolutely. known to everybody now. So, so unless we do something to allow public access on those private lands, it doesn't matter if Farmer Joe's buying it or Skip Sly's buying it, whoever's going to own that is going to want to monetarily benefit from that as much as they can in some way, shape or form. And I think that's the, I think that's like the crossroads we're at is how do you, how do you um, get to a point where you can take that private land and, and make it where others yeah. can hunt it? I don't know how, I don't know how else, I don't know what else anybody can do. Because I would assume um, most of us are all anti-big government, right, on, on this meeting here. Like, we don't want more government. At the same time, yeah. the solution is the state buys it and opens it up. Like, the state should be going around with a money bag when, a land, when the farm comes up next to them and say, cool, I'm going to buy that farm, and then I'm going to open it up. Well, I just, I don't know if money's going to do it, though. Cause what all, do you mean? All that's, of the, that's what's doing it right now. All of us just said earlier that we wouldn't accept, you know, if it was, um, you know, with a CRP payment, we had to give up the hunting, sure. right? Um, eventually, you know, if the demand is high enough, everybody that wants to kill big deer is going to buy all the land and turn down federal money. Well, no, I'm just saying the state goes in and buys it. 
they buy the land. They own the land. Yeah, but the state there's going to be a lot of incentives for like walk on. Like Kansas has got that dialed in pretty well. Yeah. So Um, the Dakotas. You can't. Yeah. So so there's a lot. That's probably the most viable option. And the other thing, each one of these states really does need to evaluate how many non-residents are they letting coming to their states. And if it's a state that's like, listen. Our residents are struggling with places to go. Residents. And that's a priority for them to be able to hunt. Right. It's a necessity. Some of them legitimately feed their family with with the deer they shoot. You know, if the residents don't have enough places to go that are quality access, why are you letting in non-residents? Because it's not a priority for non-residents to go there. For me to travel down to Kansas to shoot a big deer is a luxury. Mm -hmm. It is not a necessity. The guy down in Kansas who lives in the small town who makes a, a reasonable living that says, dude, I actually fill my freezer with this stuff. That is a necessity for him. And that state, like Kansas, and we keep going back to Kansas, but I could I could apply this to Ohio. I could apply this to Wisconsin, wherever. That state needs to look at it and say, okay, guys, are we at a place where the residents have access to quality land, ample access, reasonable access to quality land? Yes, there's plenty of it. Okay, now let's let in this many non-residents. But if, on the other hand, if that state says, no, that the residents are really struggling for places to go, which it's a necessity, and they're the ones that are are impacting that state's economy far more than the non-residents like we talked about. If they're struggling for places to go, those states need to go, okay, then we need to restrict how many non-residents, which is a luxury to come here. how many of those people are coming here? So our residents are prioritized. So well, our residents Skip, have access how, to quality. How, how would you apply that to threshold every state needs to think about? Use Iowa as the example. I mean, how would you apply that statement to, to that? Because, you know, so in, in one sense, you know, Chris is saying, hey, all of the access around me, you know, as a local is, is you know, it's diminishing. It's, it's going away. But Iowa is also the, the most exclusive state uh, of any of them. It's, you know, it's taken Jeremy and I six years to come out and draw there. So, you know, I it's hard for me to understand how it can be so limiting to non-residents and also non-residents don't have the resource that they should. I can answer this, but maybe I don't want to. Yeah. Chris, tell me I, what I, you, you think. Know, honestly, I, I think that that tag creep is just going to keep going up. Like you guys are going to draw with six points right now. And if we keep going down the road, we're going, it's going to take seven, eight very quickly. Yep. And I think that uh, the reason for that is because, these other states, no offense to where you're from or anybody else is from where they're hunting at, there's a reason they want to leave to come here. Mm-hmm. And if they could go out their back door and they could hunt big deer with good age structure, I think there'd be less people that would be like, eh, I don't really want to spend the money to absolutely hundred percent be happy to do it in their own state. And I, th- so I think that's where all of us, everybody listening to this right now, we got to all figure out how to make the state we live in the best it can be because there's whitetails all across the country. Yeah, so we got to pressure off the last remaining states because if that pressure doesn't go away, then it's just going to burst and yeah. we're all going to be screwed. Well, there's a, there's a, and I don't know if we have to go down this road today, but like there's a, a conversation probably to be had around. So like skip and you'll, I know you'll phrase it firmly as residents, you know, people who live in the state. I think my, um, and maybe this is because I'm from Pennsylvania, like we, we benefit largely from going to other states, is it, it seems like there is some room for inclusion in that group of people who 
have you know some stake in hunting in a certain state. I I don't know that I would define it so closely as to only people who live there. Um, and maybe that varies from state to state. You know, I'm, I'm open to being wrong on that, but like, and I'll just tell you, some people would look at Iowa and say like, you know, you, you know, you guys as residents get to hunt three bucks. If you, if you own land in Iowa, you know, you get to kill three bucks, you know, it would be easy for Jeremy and I to sit here and say, that's bullshit. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it, like, it takes me it six years to, it is, it is, but but so, but, 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 but maybe not, you know, cause I am in favor skip of, you know, the residents having priority, but it's, you know, it's like, where is that? Where is that line? Yeah. So I don't agree with three bucks, but so, so the answer, well, you have three bucks, so we should do all these other things to ruin your state worse. That's not yeah. the answer. No. If, if somebody said, okay, so you have two, two options because you can shoot three bucks, then let's ruin your state by allowing all whatever non-residents to overrun your state. Or you can choose to reduce it to two bucks or one buck, whatever. Mm -hmm. I gladly reduce it. Mm. So just because something's problematic and every state has problems with the regulations, I, there's there's a problem with every state. You'd be like, that one needs to change. That yeah. needs to change. No, nothing's perfect. But we have our problems. I don't agree with three tags, but doesn't mean we need to ruin it by doing all these other things. And, you know, the the pendulum has really swung in Iowa where, we're, we're struggling right now. And, and even with, we're restrictive with people. Well, I'm surrounded by non-residents and I'm surrounded by people from Wisconsin. Great people, love them, sure. love them, welcome them. But I'm surrounded by people from Wisconsin, Illinois, as my neighbors are from Illinois, uh, great people. All these failed states, these are all my neighbors and I talk to them all the time. Why are you here? Because my state sucks. Because yep. we ruined it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so even even being restrictive, these people are so desperate to find quality hunting that they're like, I know it's restrictive, yeah. but I still want to own ground here because the experience mm -hmm. five and ten times as much habitat, two, three, four, five times as much deer. They're the same deer. It's a white-tailed deer. They're leaving forests with with and they're driving through immaculate habitat with, with fields full of deer to drive 10 hours to spend $550 on a tag by me and wait multiple years to draw a bow tag. They can gun hunt a lot more. Uh, there's loopholes and there's problems with that too. But why are they leaving these states with more deer? Yeah. And uh, this huge expense. I don't want to drive... 10 hours in a car, they're leaving these failed states because they're that desperate to find quality hunting. Which of the two resources, if it is one over the other, you know, we talked about access to land and quality of, you know, the deer herd that that's on the land there to hunt. Which of those do you think is the primary motivator for people to come to Iowa, you know, as opposed to the state that they're in? What, what, what's lacking in these other states? You know, is it is it the actual access? I don't have access to go, or is it the deer population on the land that I have isn't isn't good? It's the age class. Yeah. People come here for yep. the age class. Yep. I mean, I go to southern my buddy's place in southern Wisconsin. Year and a half old. Look, look at this one, man. It's got nine points. Yeah. This could be a two hundred inch year. Who knows? We we never know because it gets shot. Yeah, it's dead. And maybe it gets to two and it gets shot then. I mean, they have the same deer. Amazing genetics. Yeah, or age southern class. Minnesota, wherever it's age class, they're coming here because they're like, dude, my farm looks. We'll look at their farm on an aerial. Like, here's my farm in Wisconsin, and and you look at it, and you're like, whoa, you look at the genetics. The genetics are there. The nutrition's there. 
everything's there. It's just like the difference is he goes, every one of these two and three year olds, they get killed. So they how do you, killed. so how and do you do it? They don't. How, how do you do it? If you want to pick one or two states, you know, it's, it's the opportunities come, 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 that we just come, talked about. Come, you got to reduce the opportunities. You have to take away bait. You have to take away crossbows. You have to shorten seasons. You have to change bag limits. I've, I've, I've hunted every one of these states and there's a couple simple things that every one of these states could do to change their hunting. And that's what has to happen because if it doesn't, if it doesn't, these states are going to continue to hemorrhage new hunters, just like Michigan losing a third of their hunters. Mm -hmm. Minnesota is going to lose new hunters because, partially because of this crossbow stuff. It's just uh, degrading the resource. They will, will lose new hunters. So these other states, all of them, whatever state you're in, if you're in the Carolinas, I mean, there's things we can do to improve these states. And what I'm saying is, is we have to. And my, if you say, does he have a secret motivation at any level here? And I, I'll come up with one. I don't want to see Iowa ruined. And I actually don't want sure. to see Kansas ruined, even sure. if I never go there again. But I don't want to see it ruined. And, and if we don't fix some of these states like Michigan, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Missouri, Illinois, Missouri could be the number one state in the whole country, by the way. Yeah. Um, Ohio. All If we don't fix some of these states, the pressure is just going to keep building on Iowa and Kansas and even Ohio and Kentucky. And Kentucky's like, yeah, we're getting more non-residents right now. It's just going to get worse. It's going to these states where people go, there's good quality there, where, whether it's Illinois, Kentucky. It's just going to get worse well, and worse and worse. And the pressure, the pressure's building. Let's, let's walk it back. We've gone from, let's, let's, we've gone from a two-year draw. And sorry, I'll quick make this point. Let's let you jump right go, in go. um we've gone from a two-year draw like hey i could get a bow tag here every two years to every six years in like in like a 15-year period yeah that's how much the pressure's building to come to the last great state where they actually have some age structure because my state is destroyed i want your state to be amazing again and it could be in minnesota used to be the number one bnc state in the whole country and you're like what I would yeah, I would love yeah. to see this would be a good uh, tool for you, Skip. I would love to see a bar graph that compares uh, the introduction of things like crossbow seasons into you know other other states and the increase you know for demand to hunt in states. Here's like a, Iowa. here's the problem though: the state agency cares about catch per unit effort. They care about your opportunity to harvest a deer. They don't give a shit about age structure. They don't care. Yeah. Well, the state might not, yes but the hunters no. do. No, they don't. Yes they'll tell, no. they'll right. tell you that and, they and don't. Well, they clearly do, though. Okay. That's that's that demand to hunt Iowa that I just some, described. How many? How much do, percent of that? Some do, is? some don't. One percent. So here's a cliche. Two percent. That... Hold on, Skip. Jeremy and I are arguing here's, about something. One percent of hunters. Two percent of hunters care about killing a big deer. No, no, it's way more than that. Hundred percent. I would say, um, and I don't know. Those like, are the vocal ones. The, the degree, the degree of willingness to like go out of their way to do it will vary. Um, at this point, though, I mean, it's a it's a high percentage. I bet it's not more than ten. Ten percent of the hunters. Well, it depends how it. you phrase it to them. Yeah, I think, it's, think it's I think it's higher. Also, yeah, yeah. Every hunter wants to kill a big deer. Every sure. hunter wants to kill a big deer. I yeah, mean, but they're no not going to go out of their way to do it. Ten deer to walk out, and there's everything sure. from a fast back to a one eighty. What are they going to shoot? Right, but I mean, the first two and a half year old that most guys see, sure. most hunters see, they're killing. Well, because in their mind too, they're yeah. like, "What's possible? What's I, you know? Are there any three year olds here for me to shoot? You know, what I mean, it's I can understand why that decision gets made. Yeah, but I do think, and I agree with Chris. Every everybody wants to shoot a big, you know. Sure, it's the daydream we all have, but I don't think that. 
90% of the hunters will go out of their way to try and kill a big buck. Mm -mm. Well, it's too hard. I, the, the biggest thing, so, so Skip, um, I guess I'm not really sure if, if you answered Jared's question completely as far as what you would change. Um, but I think that whatever changes happen, it cannot be a loss of monetary value for the state. Otherwise, there's no way they're going to do it. So whatever changes happen, they still have to be able to make the same amount of money. So let me agree. skip before you jump in that, just because we pick on them a lot. But I, I will say it's the one state that I think is really crazy about. We talk about decline. Pennsylvania has enhanced over the last 20 years. Enhanced. It's the one state that I will say has gotten better over the last 20 years the quality of deer the age structure that we are seeing today versus 20 years ago off the charts off the charts and and uh the one i rip on the most which is my my home state i mean i'm in iowa now uh love it but my home state of michigan was an absolute disaster it still is it still is, but it's improved a lot and my buddies are like look at this dude look at this you know, I remember going out and we never saw two and a half year old right. in the area I hunted. Same. I mean, not, uh, it, and I shot a two and a half year old once and people are like, oh, my, I mean, it was the talk of the town. Um, so it was so bad. And I go back now or see pictures now of what my buddy shoot and it's gotten better. And I'm like, Michigan has gotten better. That's, incre that's incredible. Hmm. What has happened? Why has it gotten better? Three reasons. And I do credit hunters on one of these. One. People did start being like, okay, let's, let's let's pass up a year and a half old bucks. And there was enough people who passed up a year and a half old bucks. I mean, there was the antler point restriction. Yeah, that so that's what we got forced on, antler point restriction. Here, Here's the other two big ones that people don't think about in Michigan. Why has Michigan got better? And it has. A third of the hunters quit. Yep. Yeah, it got better. A third of them quit. And, and last... Guys start locking up land. You can't come, come here. I lease this. I yeah. control this. We created a co-op with my neighbors because we want to make our own regulations mm -hmm. because the DNR is out of their mind. So we're, we as a group, guys with land, a little bit of money, an organization, we're going to make our own rules. You know, mm. don't shoot this. Mm. We agree upon this, whatever. And they're, they're just overriding the system. So you go, Michigan's gotten better. And that's the reasons why. It's not because... It's like the DNR's done a better job at something. They haven't. It's all the hunters that have actually got together and forced these changes. And some of them are, you know, driving out other hunters, and that's improved. I mean, I guess in some regards that's good uh, for the people who are like, listen, it was crowded. At least I got a little breathing room. For them, it's good. For But, again, when these states get a little bit better – and you're forcing your resident hunters out of the sport and they're quitting in droves, which is coming to your state if you're behind Michigan a little bit, like like the, the state's a little further west. When you're forcing these residents out, that is going to hurt your revenue. So you want you enthuse the residents to hunt. You keep them retained in the sport. You keep them passionate saying, I love hunting. I, I have a quality experience when I go out. And you keep those hunters. That is the best way to sustain your revenue. And every time you force a resident hunter, a 17-year-old kid that's a, done with this, every every one of those that gets forced out, your revenue will go down. And there's infinite solutions out here to increase the quality of deer. And I could go through this state by state. 
I mean, and it's different. It's different in every state, Wisconsin, Minnesota, South Dakota, uh, Nebraska, Kansas, wherever. Every state is different. And I could give you two points on every state. I won't do that right now, but two points to make all these states better. And it would result in this. The revenues would go up and it would also go up long term by retaining more hunters. Mm -hmm. And the quality of hunting for the residents would, or, or anybody would also go up. Both of those things can go up at the same time. Doesn't mm. doesn't it seem like um, maybe it's not this straightforward, but like, and it's maybe not this shallow either, you know, because there, there's you know a lot to deer hunting. There's a lot of different reasons that people do it and stuff, but doesn't it seem like age structure uh, and everything that comes with it is one of the primary you know values that people you know are, are striving for. You know, it's like age, age structure is what provides bigger antlers. That's what we're saying here is a, an, an increasing percentage of hunters would strive for. That's what keeps us interested. Or willing to go out of state to a place like Iowa. I think a lot of hunters have no clue what the hell age structure even is. Well, but they know what a big buck is. Sure. And, you know, inherently, you know, they don't do, know what well, a big Do that, they know what a big buck is? Well, maybe <laughs> we, not. We, we've asked this maybe question not. before. It's like somebody sees a 130-inch two-year-old and they're like, giant. Giant buck. Well, and usually it's relative. It's it's for their area because they haven't seen a bigger mm -hmm. one. Um, I guess the, the, the point that I would kind of get to, you know, is if we could point to age structure and say, hey, that creates a lot of value for residents, non-residents. It keeps people interested, keeps people wanting to get into hunting. Why wouldn't that make sense to be the, like one of the top, that's not the what top this, priorities? That's not what the state agency is managing for. Well, but it's they're managing actually, for dollars. actually not true. Which it's state agencies true. are managing for it? Okay, I'll give you an example. People say... The DNR's only goal is to manage the deer herd, just numbers. It's not. Mm -hmm. Their goal is to increase revenue. Mm -hmm. Their goal is to keep hunters retained. Their their goal is to keep quality experiences for the hunters. It's the same thing with fishing. You say, well, it's just to manage the fish numbers. Why do they do slot limits then? Why are they why mm -hmm. are they trying to manage certain lakes to have to have trophy bass or, or to have you know? And they market this stuff. And the Iowa DNR has they pay. They pay for this to have a list of the bet, the biggest buck shot in the state, and they have a compiled list. And they have things on their website, the trophy bucks of Iowa. They're not behind every tree, but Iowa has something special. States market quality. They market quality, and they utilize it. A lot of times, I don't necessarily agree with this, but they, they utilize it to bring in non-residents. Mm -hmm. We have a great quality experience. Michigan does it for fishing. They do it for hunting. They want people to come there. And when, when the states can say we have a better hunting quality experience, and maybe with pheasants, that's lots of deer numbers. South Dakota uh, is marketing. They're spending money to get people excited about pheasants and how good of quality their pheasants are. And uh, states are spending money and promoting the quality of fishing. Well, when it comes to whitetails, age structure is a big thing. So there are states that are incentivizing things to get deer to older ages. And why do states respond by saying, let's put in antler put restrictions. They're doing it to get a better age structure. Sure. That's mm -hmm. what they're doing. So so that goes in the face of, well, they're just about killing deer. They just want to kill deer. Well, no, they're not. They want a better quality age structure and a higher quality experience because they know that's what brings dollars in. I would say, hunters, Skip, and that's what the hunters want. I'd say we've seen that too, like in, in the Midwest, but in Pennsylvania, any marketing that I see is more about just opportunity in general. 
Um, I, I don't, I'm not as familiar with like Michigan, Wisconsin, that type of stuff. But but in Pennsylvania, they just basically will try to like overlap. Seasons. The executive director has told us. Yeah, yeah. The whole goal is opportunity. They'll basically say, period. well, hey, you can you can come to our state and within a whatever short period of time and for a reasonable amount of money, you can shoot a deer, a bear, and, turkey, and a in a turkey or whatever, and the quality is not necessarily like at the forefront of their uh their marketing necessarily and it doesn't need to be at the forefront i'm not saying it's at the forefront i'm saying it is a part of the equation though. Mm-hmm. don't be mistaken it's a part sure. of the equation if if two states you know we're, we're trying to attract walleye fishermen and one's like hey man you know we you can get jumbo walleyes here we we we're a little tighter on our our, <clears throat> our limits um we do more catch and release at these lakes and then you got a state next door that's like, hey, man, you can use dynamite to, to get walleyes, blow them out of the water, kill every one of them. You know, if they're this big, take them. You know, the state that manages the resource, right, everybody's going to go there. The, the state that are maniacs with the resource, people aren't going to want to go there and they're going to ruin it. So, mm-hmm. um, no, there, I'm, I'm not saying states. And there's no states that are like, hey, come to Iowa and, you know, our goal is to shoot 200-inch deer and that's what you should expect. Me sure. To. Yeah, no, yeah, not yeah. At all. No, you're, you're right. I'm just telling but, you. Yeah, yeah. But, but like a state like Michigan, the expectation should be like, hey, you know, you guys that have lived in Michigan forever, that you're used to everybody shooting year and a half of bucks, little forks, everybody just guns them down. Well, now you can actually see bucks two and three year olds with racks. And that'd be a great goal for Michigan if somebody said, you know what, man, they made a few common sense changes, which I can very easily list very simple things they could do, which would end up making everybody happy really i mean nobody no not 100 percent will be happy about anything but if they made a couple common sense choices which i could get into the specifics they could make it so hey we can go across the whole state and actually see bucks with racks two and three year olds and that's fairly common it's really, they're still hard to shoot but they could make it a quality experience whatever that state is it could be far better than what it is today and the reality is, is the vast majority of these states 80 percent plus are degraded disasters. They have gone the wrong direction. The pendulum has swung way too far the wrong way. They're going the wrong direction and they are going to ruin hunting. And it isn't the anti-hunters that are ruining hunting. It is all this crap. It will ruin hunting if we go another 20 years like the last 20 years. I promise you. What, I see it coming. What do you what do you think, Jeremy? Like, you know, in in, in Pennsylvania, you know, just around a you know, the conversation of like, do, do people want to kill a big buck? You know, is that- yeah, I mean, I think they do. Um, you know, what's interesting is 20 years ago when we got antler point restrictions, it was the most against the grain uh, implementation that yeah. the state had ever seen. Um, I would say that at least 50% of the deer hunters in the state were pissed off and did not want it. Uh, to, to Skip's point, there was a group that put that in place without hunter support. Uh, 20 years later, it's the best decision that the state ever made. Well, in hindsight, yeah, because we can look at it as guys who want to kill big bucks and say that was the right decision to get us to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, at that time, though, do you think there was not, I'm sure there wasn't as much uh, of a of a desire to kill big bucks, right? That, no. Be, that, hence that response. They just wanted to kill deer. Kill deer. Mm-hmm. Because that was the culture, you know. Well, was, and the response was, it, and, it, and people forget it, is antler point restrictions were put in place to help get deer from one year to two year to try to get a, a little bit more of a balanced age structure. In the same breath, concurrent buck doe seasons were put in to balance the buck to doe ratio with the habitat. 
uh, reduced numbers why? and why did he do that why, what was the incentive to do that that the habitat was being destroyed there was too many deer first off you would see herds of 55 deer and there'd be two spikes in a group of you know 53 does and fawns well so that makes sense for the the increased doe harvest but why mm-hmm. the antler restriction to try to have a more balanced biological age structure why because it's just healthier for the population why resist <laughs> who like who cares you know what i mean I, I got a question for you for you guys, all three of you then. Um, so let's just say it's 10% of the people who want to shoot giant deer. I'd say I'd say it's more. I'd say it's everybody wants to shoot one. Mm-hmm. You know? if, if one comes out, dude, I'm a casual hunter. And when I was a little kid, I'd shoot the first buck that walked out. If I saw a giant, and I'd be ecstatic shooting an apple deer, but if I saw something that was 130, which as a kid would be mammoth. Yeah. Of course. I mean, I'd be elated. Now I also would have been content with a year and a half. So everybody wants to shoot those. So here's something I want everybody to think about. It's easy. It's easy to demonize the guys with big land or mm-hmm. deep pockets or a billionaire that buys, buys or multimillionaire that's buying these grounds or guys that are like, listen, I took my money and I want to buy three, 400 acres to lock up, to have quality access. Um, we have to we have to consider that group because if we do things if we attack those people and we demonize them and we say screw them uh it doesn't matter if we have big deer or not those people will figure out a way they will always figure out a way to lock more ground up absolutely by us ignoring their wishes saying we don't care about you they're going to go okay I'm just going to keep locking more ground up. Yeah. And that's just the reality of it. The harder we make it for that person, if you think it's 2%, if you think it's 10%, if you think it's 50%, whatever, the harder we make it for those people, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. It's a great point. Because mm-hmm. they, they, they will do whatever they have to do. They have deep pockets. They have, they have an intense drive to lock up ground. And more guys would be like, hey, I'm middle class, but I will work harder to lock up ground. And that was me as a little kid. I'm part of this problem. Um, uh, but, uh, mm. we have to, we have to account for their wishes and, you know, really they're going to be, there's a lot of people who benefit from the, and it's not as many people think there's all these guys with thousand acre tracks that are managing for huge deer and they, they almost demonize them, but it's actually, a, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of people out there. And look what happens at, on all their neighbors, all their neighbors start hunting along their fences and it ends up being, it benefits actually tons of people when when you have guys that do that. And I know they're easy an easy group to demonize, but the more we demonize these people, they're going to protect themselves. It's like trying to tax yeah. the rich harder. Well, we do. You know, we, they're going to find ways out. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't know so, that we've given that element of the equation enough like attention before. Like, cause that's absolutely true. Like, it seems like the response to you know when you see that you're so and so owns all this much land i i need more oper- i need more tools to be able to kill deer on the land that i have and you know so give me crossbows give me baiting give me mm-hmm. this whatever uh, and inherently all that does is motivate that guy who has the ability to to continue to lock up more land cuz they're like they're at odds with each other yeah i mean that's the only flaw with the the thought process of the state going in and buying land for more access is if the state says, cool, I'll buy that for 3,000 acre, the guy with deep pockets will say, I'll pay 35. And I think that will continue to happen. And it'll just keep driving. It, it's what's happened with leases. Leases were 10 to 15 bucks an acre at the most. Now it's 50 dollars. There were $100 an acre leases in Wisconsin last week I was looking at. It's $100 an acre in Wisconsin because people are willing to pay it. That's the one thing that 
that people ping money for being a negative and, and, and it very well can be. That said, because people are passionate about deer hunting, the question becomes how much will they pay to protect what they love? Well, dude, it, it almost, and I, maybe I felt this way beforehand, but even more per this conversation, like it, it seems almost foolish to continue chasing like quote unquote access in terms of just more land. Like we all know that they're not making any more of it. Sure. Like, I mean, that's, that's, that's a fact it is, it is what it is. They are making more deer like every year, you know, the, the it's a, it's a population a has point. the ability to vary. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's extremely affected more so than access to land. I think by, uh, you know, the, these things mm-hmm. that are getting passed, that's, that's what's being affected is the deer that are on the landscape that's available. I think that's probably where the attention should be directed most. That's where it comes back to the retention aspect. Yeah, of yeah. what is that? 100%. And we're not focusing on it. As as the, the groups that have <laughs> access to it, most groups are not focusing on the retention opportunity. To, pu- to put it simply, and maybe this isn't 100% right, but like it, it doesn't seem like access is the issue as much. It seems like the resource on the access that we have is what's in trouble. It's what caused the access issue. Right. The resource on the landscape. Yeah, well, the more it becomes an issue, the more it, like we said, drives these being private abused, land guys Being to buy depleted more. has caused the access issue because people just are going to protect it. The, well, anytime there's a limited resource, the thing you do, like if you've got limited money, you protect your money. Sure. That's what you do. Hmm. I, I would argue that uh, there's, and this is just speaking for Iowa, but there's there's counties, especially specific areas and counties that, it doesn't matter if the state wants to hand out 10,000 doe tags, they've lost control to manage the population in certain areas because it's, it's privatized and it's up to the landowner what he wants to harvest. And there's giant sections of huge landowners that they call the shots, right. As far as what gets harvested. So I think here it, it, it is definitely getting to a point where it's almost unmanageable for the state in certain spots. Well, that's what happens. It just like reinforces that European model to the point where like no matter at what point the, the state realizes, hey, we need to change this regulation. It's too late. Too late. Private land guys bought it all up. Too late. Yeah. I mean, that's like going in Pennsylvania. A lot of the, the state forests are managed for browse and, and species uh, in that timber, right? The problem is, is if they've got a thousand acres of private land bumped up to that and those guys decide like, hey, we're not going to shoot any does. Guess what? No matter what you do to that habitat on the state forest, it's going to get mauled because those deer are just going to live on the private land and not get hunted. And then they're going to go and feed over there and maul down that habitat. It's it's a lost control at that point. You can't do anything about it. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Muddy. Man, Jared, we probably have been using Muddy products for at least 10 years now. It's a long time, dude. It's been a long time. And I can remember when it was simply just safety harnesses and camera arms of all things. And, you know, that's evolved to where you and I both have a bunch of Muddy box blinds as well. I would say a bunch. But, yeah, they've come a long way. And certainly the box blinds are, are huge. Shot that buck over your shoulder out of a Muddy box blind a couple of years ago. The harness and, and all of the other safety accessories really are, are a major component of, of what Muddy offers for me. Um, you know, we've had some injuries in the past, you know, some, some tree stand accidents. This, this is all back before we were using, uh, you know, frankly, harnesses, mm-hmm. uh, the lineman's belt while we're hanging stuff, and the safe lines. I have those in every single one of, uh, you know, our fixed tree stands now. And uh, so we really have made safety a priority. Uh, that, that's a big deal for us. And, uh, you know, Muddy has everything we need for that. Yeah, and I think uh, the cool thing about Muddy is anyone listening to the Hunter podcast can save 20%. 
using the code HUNTER20. That's H-U-N-T-R-2-0. Anything that you can see on the Muddy Outdoors store online, use that code. Save yourself 20% for this hunting season. Go Muddy. Go ahead. Yeah, take it away. So, you know, Chris, you and Taylor have started an organization per a lot of this stuff that we're talking about. If you want to feel free to just kind of share a little bit about what that is and what the uh, initiatives are. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, essentially just kind of seeing how things were going and seeing how legislators were, you know, were, were being impacted. Um, we, you know, actually listening to a podcast with Skip, I think it might've been with you guys, but basically talking about, Hey, you know, us as sportsmen right here in Iowa, we got to start doing something to combat what's coming down the pipe, right? Because we want to keep Iowa great. We want to keep our resource the best it can be, and we want to make it better. So we can't just sit back and sit on the sidelines and just watch our state every year get just pounded and pounded by new legislation that if some of this stuff gets passed, it's just, we're screwed, right? It's going to be completely screwed. So Taylor, I'll, I'll be honest, Taylor, I did a lot of the work behind the scenes and he talked to some different organizations. And so essentially we're starting a, a, a new group that would be, it's going to be called the Iowa Sportsman's Club. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, mm-hmm. uh, we're in the very early stages of this, but our, uh, our goal with proceeds, we want to make sure that number one, that the proceeds that were generated would stay in the state. Mm-hmm. We did I would ask anybody out there that's listening to this to like check out some of the organizations that you possibly are donating money to or you're a member of and ask them how much of how much of this proceeds are staying in the state that I live in or I reside in. And you might be shocked at some of the answers you get. So um, we wanted to have somewhat of a backbone to start this thing initially. So talking to Dallas Safari Club, Basically, what they're going to allow us to do is 95% of the proceeds will stay right here in Iowa. So we've got a board together of like-minded individuals who want to keep Iowa awesome. And with that being said, we're going to, the money that is going to be spent, that is going to be generated, will be spent on lobbying to keep Iowa good, Mm -hmm. keep Iowa great, make it better, Uh, habitat conservation, restoration, uh, potentially public access, a lot of stuff that we have like big vision, right? And this is so brand new and we've really just kind of dialed it in in the last three weeks and started, started working on it. Um, we've already solidified that we're going to have our first banquet. It'll be, uh, March 1st at the deer classic. So we're working, we're coinciding, working with John who uh, owns Iowa deer classic and our event will be there. It, uh, we'll, have 250 people for the first year i think we'll sell out fairly quickly on that but then what's nice is um, once dinner's done then it's going to be opened up to everybody to come down there and to see what we've got going on to you know we're gonna have a ton of auction items i think right now we're up to almost seventy thousand dollars of auction items and we've really been kind of just trying for the last uh two weeks so using the resources that we have, um, talking to guys like Skip and other landowners, non-residents, guys that want to see this state continue to be what it is, um, we're, we're to the point we are now. So, you know, I've been a member of the IBA, I'm a life member of the IBA, 
but I don't want no, it to be I, Iowa, like Iowa Bow Hunters Association. Is that right? Yeah, I don't yep. want it to be where like they're the only ones that are doing mm-hmm. what I should be done. Right. So, um, we're we're coming hard, and we're gonna we're gonna do what we can to keep this place good. What is the what is the difference? I mean, so you know, there's the Iowa Bow Hunters Association that Skip had mentioned previously. Um, have you guys talked to them? Like, is what's the difference in uh, in, in your guys's organization? I haven't personally talked to him about it. I think Taylor has. Um, and honestly, I, I, I don't know what they spend on lobbying. I don't know a lot of those details. Uh, I support them um, and I see what they do to fight the good fight for us. But at the end of the day, even if we're doing a lot of the same things, it's just more people going to battle for the right reasons. Yeah, I mean, I think until we had Skip on, you know, whatever, a few months ago, I didn't even know that there were people lobbying for these things or against these things sure it, you know I, I just figured oh it's hunting like who really gives a shit like it, you know there's not other people in there and then all of a sudden it's like this whole world opens up to it's like oh shit this is how things are getting done well and it's rooted in like you yeah. know uh, the general population of hunters is like we feel a certain way we're like oh man that seems bad like we don't like that yeah like why would they do that but <laughs> the probably the main reason that we fall off is we're like well what do we do and even dude us we've had the conversations like i'll text skip i'm like what do we do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, where, where do we go? Where do like, we even start? And it does seem like involvement in some of these organizations who are, you know, raising money, you know, Chris, like um, this organization you and Taylor are starting, it's raising money via, you know, d- dinners, you know, banquets and, uh, and fundraising events first and foremost. And I'm sure that will grow as you guys get into it, um, who are directly, uh, you know, trying to address or, you know, and maybe you can get into a little bit about it. Is it, is it, exclusively via hiring lobbyists or are there other methods for how you're going about it and who's deciding on like which issues to tackle you know and, and here i'll keep dumping too i know it's kind of a loaded question too like interesting to hear your involvement with the it's safari club international it's dallas safari club it's yeah. dallas safari club forgive me you know so i know I'll, I'll probably a lot of people look at that and say you know it, first thought that comes to mind is like you know r- rich white guys that hunt in africa um, you know, and so uh, interested to hear their mindset on wanting to keep Iowa great and potentially some other states. So, and I'll, sorry, I, I know it's kind of rambling there. <laughs> oh, you're good. Uh, so Taylor, the whole connection was through Taylor, right? So Taylor knew a guy that had an organization or he had, um, basically he was the president of an organization of Dallas Safari Club and Taylor has elk hunted with this guy before. This guy also has land in Iowa. <laughs> So Taylor's got to know him and we literally were just talking one day, like, Hey, what can we do to help? And Taylor's like, well, I know a guy that does this or whatever. So I think the biggest thing and the reason we, I I don't know if you call it partnering with them or what you call it, but um, the biggest thing was that the, all the proceeds would stay here for the most part. Yeah. And then that's critical being able to tap into their membership base and then, and then lean on them for a lot of the stuff that, like I said, Taylor's done a lot of the legwork. I think sometimes he probably just asked me to come on board to help be a voice for it and mm-hmm. maybe use some of my relationships to, you know, get donations and auction items and and kind of, you know, get people all together for the same for the same cause here. But Taylor's done a ton of that legwork. And as far as like the funds go, um, we've had one board meeting, right? So right now we don't have any funds. We have nothing. We have we have that banquet coming in March. But 
you know, I don't know exactly how the IBA does it. I know that our board has, we have five board members. Everything has to be passed through, you know, passed by them as far as agreed upon to, as far as what we're going to spend that money on and what, what, uh, what percent's going to lobbying and whatnot. Skip knows way more about that as far as what it costs to, to have someone um, that you're going to, you know, pay to lobby for certain certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know that yet. And that's where like, I'll be calling guys like Skip or other people saying, hey, what route do we have to take here? But the biggest thing is this is just so new. And I kind of just wanted to bring it up on this podcast to to let people know that um, honestly, it was some work to get it up and going. And there's a lot of work to be had moving forward. But it it wasn't as hard as I think a lot of people probably make it out to be um, to get kind of something like this rolling. But because of the fact that we did partner with uh, Dallas Safari Club, those guys knew a lot of the stuff that we had to do to get it rolling. So right. a lot of it made it a lot easier. You at least took the step, man. I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> we can all do a lot of talking, but at the end of the day, you know, somebody's got to take at least a step of action to, to do something, you know? We're, we're going to make it happen. And what people need to hear loud and clear is now there'll be two organizations in Iowa that are actually not not here to make money, not here for our own our betterment. Like, I, I want to make money off this. I want to shoot bigger deer or something like that. We don't have motivation. It's just like, keep this state great. Let's improve it a little bit. That's it. There. So now there's two. Now, in every given year for the last 20 years in Iowa, and it probably goes past back that, but 20 years that I can trace it, there's about six different lobbying groups that are nefarious, special interests. I'm here for money. Hmm. The crossbow people, the I want outfitting tags, the different groups. There's always, there's about six groups that are here to exploit Iowa. And the reality of it is, is there's been six groups that probably were in your state just a long time ago, and there was nobody to stand against them, and they won. And that's why your state is ruined. Mm-hmm. That's how it got ruined. You know, when, like the like the crossbow things, when the, pe- the people aren't asking for crossbows, and it's just an example. There's a lot of examples like crossbows. I'm just going to use crossbows because that's a, it's one that's, I mean, it, it just, it's an analogy for how things get ruined. But, you know, when there's all these groups that are out for their own interests, and there's nobody to say no. The hunters just are like, wake up one day and all this stuff pass. There's no defense. There's no organization to keep them in check. And that's all a lot of this is. It's keeping these people in check saying, no, 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 no. Our state is not for sale. We do not want to be exploited. You know, we don't want uh, to sell the residents out of this state. And now every state can do this. And and the, the two organizations that are going right now are very simple. And the amount of funds that it's going to take to save the state of Iowa, uh, to just defend it, keep it great, and probably improve a few of the regulations where you're like, yeah, that is a problem. And there's a list um, that I think the vast, vast majority of people would go, yeah, I agree with that. That doesn't need adjustment or change. We can fix this now. It will get fixed. And it's not a lot of money. This is not a lot of effort. It's very doable. And once we start getting the figures and how much it costs to, you know, to have somebody, a competent lobbyist represent you, it's very doable, very inexpensive in the tens of thousands of dollars. Um, and and if you get, we can talk about this. Somebody could maybe message me on the side who's real interested. You got to have some ambition behind this. But if somebody wanted to do this, you could get a group of, of well-spoken 
thoughtful people who who can just have a competent conversation actually do some of the lobbying too. show up to these committee meetings for free. I mean, you just show up there and and have some rationale on what's going on, debate some of these these issues that are going on. And that doesn't cost anything. So there's things even that are free that the expense of, of this to save your state. Well, I don't care what state you live in. Um, the expense is, is it's actually extremely minor um, in the big picture. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, very doable. Every state should have a probably one or two of these organizations. And now when you think about it, when you think back and go, oh my gosh, for 20 years, we had nobody, nobody in our court. And, and a lot of these things that's going, that, go, that are here today that are legal, that pass, well, it is, it's the rule the, of the land now. And, uh, you know, it's great. Everybody should embrace us now. Well, that got passed by special interests that just wanted to exploit that state hmm. and put money in their pockets. And now we have there is viable tools, even if you're, you know, in a degraded state, you can fix these things now. And it's not that expensive and it's not that difficult. You just need a little ambition like anything. Hmm. And and so like it's repeatable, right? So if we see, uh, you know, guys, we'll obviously circle back on this and say, hey, what issues have you tackled? What success have you had at raising monies? And what did that yield? You know, what ultimately was the success of, of the club or of the organization? Um, as guys yeah. kind of catch wind of that, it's like, so how do we how do we do that here like how do i how do i take that to pennsylvania or to ohio and, and start something simple like we also have issues you know obviously i was in, in you know you could say the best state and and least need of something like this but obviously it needs to be in place to preserve what you do have well it, it's it's the state with the biggest bullseye on it oh absolutely you know, when, when there's six different lobbying groups that are just here to exploit us you know absolutely. raven smells blood in the water raven's raven's words uh, i'm gonna kind of, it's not exactly their words, so I'm going to use my own words here, but uh, they smell blood in the water. They think Iowa's for sale. They think we're going to roll over. That's what, that's what Raven thinks. And they think, you know, I, the people, the, the, and even the IBA, which represents 40,000 archery hunters, the data is unanimously, we do not want crossbows during archery season. Our archery season is crowded. We want, we want crossbows for disabled, for seniors, and in their, in the late season where they rightfully belong. We don't want them in archery season. The citizens of the state don't want them. Raven's position is I'm just going to throw more money at lobbying. I'm going to donate more politicians and I'm going to, I'm going to get this rammed through behind the scenes hook or crook. However, it take, it has to take place. We're going to ram this through. Um, and basically they're essentially they're giving the middle finger to the residents of the state and they're, and they're doing this to other states. Uh, they did it to Minnesota. They did it to Missouri long ago when the hunter said, we don't want it. They, Michigan. They rammed it through every way. Yeah. I mean, it's it, money. They padded the pockets. It's a corrupt process. Hmm. And it's a shame what this company's done. It's a shame. And um, I don't think a lot of people know Iowa does have a, a season that you can use a crossbow. You know, like that's the thing. We allow people to hunt with a crossbow for three weeks out of the year if they want to. Mm -hmm. It's just mm -hmm. not and, and if they put crossbows on the ballot saying, hey, do you guys want crossbows and we got to vote on it? And the hunter said 90% we want it. Okay, that, that'd be one thing, but that's not what, I mean, we, we vote it down unanimously. So, the, and they know that. So they're like, okay, since the hunters don't want it, we're going to force it down their throats anyway. And we're going to use our money and our power and our influence out of New York. And we're going to shove money so far uh, up the politician's butt here that it's going to get shoved through. And it's, it's a shame. Skip, um, I mean, break that down for us just because <clears throat> I'm unfamiliar with the two. Obviously, when you talk about these lobbyist group, I mean, are they literally 
putting money in the pockets of politicians to make to change their vote? Yes, and there's several ways to do that. There's certain you know you you can form PACs, you can make donations, you can fund the lobbyists. There's all sorts of tricky financial things that we can do to shuffle money around and get money into the. But basically, if I form a PAC and then we donate to donate the PAC's money to this politician. And then we say, hey, we donated to you. We helped you out. You owe us. Write this bill. Wow. Let's go. Let's go. That's how these bills come about. It isn't like all of us hunters got together with these legislators like, we really want this or we really want that. We want crossbows during archery season. Okay, the hunters of Iowa are asking for this. I'll support. That's how it should be. But that it's, it's a corrupt process. I mean, mm. it is. It's, it's, it's slimy. And I mean, and, and just a little caveat here. You know, I'm sitting here talking about regulations. I'm sitting here about talking about improving these states. I mean, I would much rather be talking about chasing mature deer, fixing habitat, talking about the cool things I do on my farm, the the hunters I bring yeah. to my farm for free, their experiences. I'd much rather be talking about that stuff. Yeah. And I love that stuff. And we could have another podcast where it's totally off the subject. But, you know, this is my duty right now. And it's like I'm cold in a way. To, to really fight back for these issues and to fight for the people of this state. Again, to no benefit to myself. And and, and if these regulations all go through that are, are awful, I'm, I'm fine. So it isn't about me at all. So I, I'd much rather be talking about other issues clearly, but um, the, these issues are, are things that are impacting millions, millions of hunters. And, and I talk to just, I would say it's in the thousands per year that are like, Dude, it's it's awful, man. My state's awful. It's ruined. I, I what can I do to change yeah. this? You know, I mean, I mean, there there is a frustration level that is bubbling right now among hunters. I mean, there's a revolution coming as far as hunters go that are like, no more of this. It's getting mm -hmm. worse and worse and worse and worse, and we gotta stop this. Mm -hmm. And we need to reverse it. I mean, there the, the timing is now for this stuff to get get changed. I mean, it is time. You know, ten years ago, maybe not. Now, absolutely. There's, I, I mean, I feel it. I see it. I get phone calls every day on this stuff. People are tired of seeing things just ruined and degraded and probably getting worse than better. And and the few cases where they're getting better, like I said, it's um, hunters are just quitting. So mm -hmm. things have to change. We can't have another 20 years like the last 20 years. Chris, are you guys going to be getting memberships, like trying to recruit hunters in the state of Iowa to become members of the organization? Because that's the big question that I have. Obviously... I think the four of us are on the same page of like what we would like to see happen and, and transparently what we think would be best for the state of Iowa or for the state of Ohio. But, you know, ultimately we're a small sample, right? So it, it, it in fairness to the hunting community, right, we need to hear the voice of other hunters in the state because I'm sure they share different opinions on certain things than we do. So, you know, Chris, on your side, are you guys looking at you know, building that membership, much like the Iowa Bow Hunters Association, to where those guys are representing forty thousand. You know, that's great. Forty thousand still not a huge amount of hunters. Uh, what is that? Probably ten percent of the hunters in Iowa, give or take. I think there's maybe quarter of a million hunters in okay. Iowa. I might be so right. more. I so maybe twenty percent. Yeah, yeah. So we are we are gonna get to that point in the near future where we've got like a website getting done and then we're trying to like line up exactly um, what the membership entails and the cost of it. And, you know, yeah. basically all will be ironed out in the next, I would say 30 days. Cause I think the, the 
issue at hand where there needs to be major clarity, and it doesn't matter what state you pick, is dude, social media is loud, it's obnoxious, it's annoying. So you hear the most, the, the loudest, the most obnoxious voices possible saying, this is how we all feel. And it's not necessarily the case, right? So literally having an ability to hear, to put out a poll to 40,000 hunters and say, hey guys, what do you feel about this? Here's what comes back. And it's like, hmm, nobody likes this. That is, yeah, it, that is so not- valuable. And it blows my mind that, like I know the states put out surveys, but rarely do I ever see what those surveys say. Yeah, and, and it's not like we're um, IBA or you know any of these groups. It's not like they're taking like 30 issues and trying to get right. like 30. These are just so far-fetched. And so, like, what? You guys want what? These obscure, weird things. Or, man, we want to make it in Iowa so you can only shoot 200-inch deer bigger. That's <laughs> what we want. It's nothing like that. It's common sense things, like a couple things, like, you know, and really one of them, one of the items is like, no more, stop, stop attacking us, leave us alone. Yeah. Four and a half months a season. There's seven deer seasons. There's six plus weapon choices. They're, the quotas are insane. Stop. No more tags. No more, you know, leave us alone is probably number one. And then there's some things like, listen, guys, there's two, three things. I think the not even think, I know the vast majority of people can be like, yeah, I, I agree with that we have support on. Those are the things we're going to push through. They're not they're not unique like well this is just going to benefit this 1%. No, it's going to benefit everybody. How, how, it's things everybody the vast majority can agree. How closely skip do you think that um you know the the majority uh you know view will align with things that actually you know quote, quote unquote make make the state better. Like so two things that might be at odds like you know look at a state like Michigan. Um, I don't know if this is the case but if you did a poll and said you know, how, how many people want, how many hunters want the age structure to improve or word it however you want? How many people want to shoot? A, versus just like more deer. Well, well, versus how many people want to be able to hunt with crossbows? You know, and so then you as the organization or, you know, of some authority might say, okay, so we have these two responses. You know, we see them as at odds with one another. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you then address something like that do you have a you have a biologist say hey well here's what happens here's you know how do you handle something like that i mean i think it's like anything so let me sorry skip let me tack this on as just the last piece here what scares me is what we've seen is like in some states where over 70 percent of the archery harvest has converted to to crossbows and so you know given the opportunity my fear would be that of the two you say who wants to shoot big deer who wants to shoot crossbows and i have my opinions about if it's short-sighted or not mm-hmm. you know is that a majority of people would say well i want to shoot crossbows or i want to shoot over bait or whatever this or that you know how, how do you so, vet the how do you vet that response into what actually is wanted by the you know the, the general when, when we're able to organize when we're able to lobby when we're able to get more data points we can actually show um, like, listen, this is what's going to happen if we keep doing these things, mm-hmm. you know, here's been the trend of access to quality land and here's the influences. And when people understand those things, like, yeah. And you say to people, it sounds great. Like, Hey, this new weapon, it sounds great. Right. Yeah, it does. And then you, and then you start asking people questions or start digging in or just having discussions in the public or, you know, wherever, um, what's happened to your access in the last 20 years? Do you think hunting is going in the right direction or the wrong direction? Uh, your ability to to um, 
you know, have a quality experience? Is that being hurt or helped? And all of a sudden you paint this picture for these people and you have data to support it. That it's like, listen, these are the things that have led down the wrong path for us. And listen, you know, and, and there is some expertise and, and somebody with expertise is going to have some influence here. Mm-hmm. And I would ask you, do you want it to be a group that represents the hunters that, that brings some expertise to the table that, that influences the decisions, not decides them, but influences them? Or do you want it to have it? Do you want it to be like the previous 20 years where it's just the special interests mm-hmm. that are hiring the lobbyists and just the politicians that are only concentrated on the dollar figure? So I'm not saying we win every single one of these arguments, but at least we're able to have some of these arguments and have able to have a different perspective because for the last 20 years, 90% of the states out there, are, all of their decisions have been made by the politicians, by the special interests, and by the people who have given the sales pitch to the politicians that if you do this, we'll make more money. You'll make more money. The revenue, that, 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 that you, you know, the sales pitch, and there's been no counterbalance to it. Yeah. So um, we're, we're just here to balance things out and, and to bring another some expertise on the other side of the debate yeah. to the table. Well, in addition to like fundraising, I mean, I, I think for that reason right there, education of, you know, the, the general hunting public, but also your, uh, you know, your members of, of the club, you know, around, you know, how decisions on those issues are, are affected. I, th- I think that's probably one of the most important things, you know, is, is education, frankly, exposure to, to conversation like this questioning. If I choose this, what happens? If I choose that, you know, what happens? Yeah, so think about this for fundraising, though, and I'll give you some realistic dollar figures. I'm out in um, Ohio, and I want to start an organization, and I know a few people in the industry. I got um, a bow blind manufacturer that would donate two blinds. They'd get some publicity. They do donate two blinds to our cause. I got a guy who does consultations on farms. He donate a consultation, you know, maybe, and just go down the list, like archery shops that say, you know what? Um, we don't want crossbows in our state. This will be Iowa. Uh, we don't want crossbows in our state because this will kill our archery business. This will kill our compound business. <clears throat> so maybe they would donate a little bit and you say, Oh, we got five people to donate things that it, that right there would fund, fund things that fund your organization. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and the more, the better clearly, but it's not astronomical. Like a few, a few players like that. Yeah, they did this. And like I said, in the tens of thousands, I mean, Somebody well, dude, I feel, to feel like you out, have I to. I got fifteen thousand. You have to open it up too, right? I mean, I, like you know, if somebody came to me and you know, I'm not a resident, you know, so I'm, maybe I'm in a weird situation with the state of Ohio. But like we've talked about the baiting thing being an issue that I am passionate about. There, if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, here's an opportunity to donate to an organization that is going to hire lobbyists to compete against this," I, I'd be like, "Where do I sign? You know, how do I? Where? Here's my check, or here's my uh, my right. credit card." You know, so it seems like it, yeah, it's so, going to be pivotal for your guys' organization and whoever replicates it to ha- have an an easy way to crowdsource, you know, funds. Here, here's a way to donate. Absolutely. So I'd say to somebody like you, hey, Jared, you know, here's what we're doing. Here's the goals we're trying to get accomplished um, and and define the goals, you know, r- loosely. And would you would you donate to us maybe for three years, you know, 500 bucks a year for three years? Would you commit to that? And you'd say, yeah, you know, I can swing that. I'll tell you right now, you, you call, like, call me after opening day of gun season. I'll give you whatever you want. <laughs> hit, hit me at so my low, hit me at my low point. 
So that's where Chris and I's angled here today. And it's, it's Chris on the show here, but we'd like to get a firm commitment today. We'd like to ask for you guys. We'd like to ask for $30,000 and just while we're out, you know, mm-hmm. right here, we, if, <laughs> oh, yeah. if you could commit that to that today, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Nick, you're willing to give that up oh, out yeah. of your salary, right? Yeah. <laughs> now, does that come with a guest pass on your farm every year with a, you know, a well, landowner? Well, here, I will, I will say, you know, our part is we're willing to give a free subscription to tune into our podcast every week. Um, pretty, we're going to give that away absolutely free. It's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big so. deal. <laughs> so, so. Every bit of access on my farm is, it's actually substantial. And I have never taken a dollar to hunt on my farm mm. uh, ever. And, and I won't. Um, no, I, we unless it's a donation. <laughs> I have not even taken donations. Maybe I need to think about this one. Mm-hmm. I'll let you come out uh, if you donate to this group or mm-hmm. any one of these groups, you know, the IBA or Chris, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that might be an avenue right there. Hey, um, sure. hey, guys. And this would be valid. So this is actually serious now. And this, this is off the cuff, off the top of my head. Um, hey, guys, I'll donate, you know, uh, if somebody wants a bid on it, access to come onto my land. And I, I, I'd probably take them out or whatever, probably sit with them, make sure the right deer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or something. But, but um, I mean, I'd be willing to do that because sure. my land is not about money. Um, hunting is not about money at all. And uh I'd be willing to do that if it made an impact. Absolutely. And there's things I can do. Um, you know, I love the habitat stuff. I love building farms. If, if there's a way for me to auction off my services where I go out there for free on somebody's farm and they make a donation to this, mm-hmm. uh, and that's another way for me to give no problem. Is you know? it a, uh, is it, is it a 501 3C? Like, is it a tax deductible? Uh, like if somebody were to make a contribution to the organization, I yeah, guess, Chris, that's- yeah, because I think it's what is it? The C three is like the donation one. The other one we talked about was like the lobbyist C six. Yeah, something like that. So that was C six. I think so. Five hundred one C six. I don't know the difference between the two. I, the root of my question is if if a uh, company wants to donate money, that they'll that's a write off for them. I would assume so. I'm probably not the guy to ask for. I'm spo- I'm sponsoring the the event on it March first with yeah, Deer Jeremy's already jumped on yeah. board. I'm already in. Yeah. And I'm sure uh, tons of people would love to get involved. Mm-hmm. That tax question would be a good one to All I remember was answer. 10 people, free drinks, something like that. That's all That's all I remember. <laughs> and I was, I was like, yeah, man. Deductible. Well, dude, we should try to go to that. No, seriously. We I, I'm sponsoring it? I know you're sponsoring it. <laughs> I have a table for 10. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'd like to go. Yeah, I'm paying for it. I'm going. I'm going to eat food if and drink. You guys, if you guys get here a few days early, you wouldn't go shed hunting before. Mm-hmm. Okay. See? That'd be fun. Yeah. Are you also raffling off a hunt? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any deer to hunt right yeah. now. Well, let's let's make that pivot real quick. I know that's a source subject for for Chris, but um, uh, so and Skip, I don't know if you're in the same area, but Chris, I mean, you your area Her, is. Oh, I'm sorry. If you're gonna move on, yeah. I, can we just wrap it up with this the organization yeah. thing real quick? If Right now, if guys want to get involved or whatever, what can what can what can we do? What can listeners do to support? Uh, look for Iowa Sportsman's Club on Facebook and Instagram, and then if you can get to those two, then you'll find all the info. If it's up by then, needs. we'll put some links in the it description will, of this video. It will be up by then. Okay. I don't know if the website will will be okay. up by then, but all right. everything else will. Okay. 
And uh, yeah, so that's probably the easiest thing to do right now. I wish I had a better way to tell you to get a hold of Sorry. us, but there'll be more coming out as the months go by. So just start paying attention, I and, guess. Keep, keep an eye out and... Uh, and go ahead, Scott. And importantly, anybody listen to this, if you do... Have, I mean, if, if it's somebody who's never going to come to Iowa, fine. But if you want to keep Iowa great, the other one is go join the Iowa Bow Hunters Association. Absolutely. They have kept Iowa great. It's the only reason why you're like, wow, Iowa's a great last holdout. It's the last great state. They have done it. They have been our wall. They have been our defense for decades before I was here. Um, I mean, you might not see it firsthand, but it's like they're, everything that Iowa is, you can directly relate it to all the things that they have fought back and the successes they've had at beating the special interest where all these other states have not had an organization like that. Skip, if you know Once you it. of them, then you really see everything they're doing behind the scenes. They do a great job of keeping you um, up to date with what's going on, with what legislation is, is um, going through the pipe and what their stance is, yes or no. And they, like, they even give like pre-filled out like emails that you type in your own stuff and, and forward it on. Like cool. they do a really good job. So Iowa Bow Hunters Association would a hundred percent be one to look awesome. at as well. That'd be a good follow-up too. If either of you guys have a contact over there, some, somebody you think would be willing to come on and, and share about what they've done. And um, that may give us some context on what you're doing here as well. That, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Yeah. At sure. least for a template to like, because yeah. I think that's the biggest thing we've heard this more and more um, is, is, you know, and no disrespect to guys like Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation or National Wild Turkey, whatever. But the un- people are starting to worry and ask questions a little bit more of the uncertainty of where the money goes. Um, and for most of us, you know, we we to this whole point of the discussion so far, so we have to be concerned with what the happenings in our state. Even um, oh, what is it, Sportsman's Alliance? Like I know Sportsman's Alliance does a lot of lobbying and stuff, especially at DC and the federal level. But and I know that they address some state things, but and I mean, you gotta imagine like the the resources are spread thin with a group like that. You know, whereas a group like with what we're talking about here with the Iowa Sportsman's Club and stuff, like that is a group designated for the state of Iowa. Um, the focus being on Iowa issues, Iowa bills, Iowa conservation. Like that that is I think that is the only way, in my opinion, that that things move at a pace that either need to be defended and or changed at a state level efficiently. Skip, have you talked to uh, Kevin lately from Ohio? I'll leave his last name out just in case. You know what I'm talking about? I talked to him several months ago. I don't don't know where he's at. Um, You know, I hope he's motivated. I hope, I mean, I think he needs... uh, a group around him that's you know it can't be one guy yeah. you know you can't put it on one guy's shoulder so um guys that know kevin uh you know i don't know where they're at with things i don't i'd love to hear from them yeah um, me too he, he needs he needs a half dozen guys around him that can t- that have certain skills and talents that can all pool their abilities together and, and take this on you know lift together six, six guys could dominate uh an organ like taking charge and building an organization and executing it. And with very, not, this is not a lot of time, guys. This is not complex. This is, this is pretty simple stuff. You, you do have to be ambitious and you can't get, you can't be discouraged. Well, this guy told me this isn't going to work. You know, this legislator said, I'll never get, you know, you can't listen to that stuff. You just got to push through, have a little bit of 
bullheaded determination. Let, let, let's say this then too, like in addition to Chris's links in the, in mm-hmm. the stuff, if you guys are interested in getting in touch with like either Chris or Skip, if you guys yeah, will just allow reach us, out to, to us reach out to us on Instagram or either of these yeah. guys directly and like we'll, we'll field those messages. If somebody feels like like they might have the ability to or, or have the connections to maybe have an impact with some of this, mm-hmm. um, we'd love to hear from you. One small thing I'd ask yeah. <laughs> just as a question to you guys, because I know some, there's very few states that do it. Um, in most states are what we call these super agencies where obviously what we're talking about with the legislature and stuff being over kind of the decision makers. Right. And, and, but you know, I guess my opinion and and you guys can use Iowa DNR for, for the example is um, how favorable or, or how in favor would you be of Iowa DNR having control of the decisions versus the state legislature? I I would be, I mean, the DNR is neutered in Iowa for the most part. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying I want them to have total control. I think the citizens of the state need to have more control. And some would argue, well, the citizens are, re- are uh, represented by the legislator. And so what happens is, is it becomes lopsided. Now it's really not. So the citizens really aren't in charge. Sure. Because if a certain bill wants to come through that the special interests are pumping, the legislators will just slide it through, not based on what the citizens Absolutely. So it really needs to be something that's representative of the citizens, like like them having to actually be able to vote on it or the, the DNR able to um, to put something out to the hunters. Do you want this? Do you not? Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, the, the when what the legislator does in certain states is they do things to take power away from the DNR, to take their yep. voice away. If you say this, if you say this, you literally could get in trouble. You could lose your job. That's why you people are aren't blind. on our podcast. And yeah, they, they, they are scared. It, and it's, it's a shame. They need to have more footing. I'm not saying, you know, I don't know what the balance is and, and that's for each state to decide, but the DNR in Iowa needs to have more influence because sure. right now the DNR will say something or voice something and they're scared to even say what they do. And the legislators go, okay, we'll take that into account. Mm. This guy over here donated $50,000. Yeah, what'd you $5, do? $5,000 to my campaign. I think I'll go with him. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's that's what's happening. And that's what we want to change. That's got to change. Dirty, man. So, yeah, more, DNR needs more power. Because right now, in a lot of states, they're neutered. And the legislator just rolls right over them. Mm. Yeah, it's taken us some time to realize that, too, I think. Like, I think it, maybe even when we first started this podcast, some of our, you know, uh, attention was on the game commission yeah, and grievances. They, and Although Pennsylvania is one of the few that legislature yeah. has some control, game commission has a lot more control than most DNRs. Yeah, um, because we're we are we're not a super agency here. Yeah. Well, on like the crossbow sp- issue specifically, we asked what's his face. Yep, and he was not supportive of it, but the legislature had call. put crossbows in archery tackle equipment, so he can't change the law. It wasn't their call. Yeah, yeah. The, the crossbow one's just a great analogy for the crooked stuff that's going on, guys. I mean, it's awful. Wild. Missouri man. passed it. Missouri passed it when they had meeting after meeting with hunters, and the hunters did get to voice up, and it was unanimous. Like I talked to somebody in the legislator there. I talked to several people who were involved in that one. Loosely, I'm, I'm kind of making these figures up, but I'm not far off by by much. But like 90% of the hunters voiced were against us. We don't want it. And it was all about money. Some, a guy walked away with a big check in his pocket, a new position that he was appointed to, and they rammed it through behind the hunter's back. And that's just a shame. And there are certain companies out there that don't do things like that. But this, this industry uniquely 
It's like, th these people are for sale. The politicians are for sale. We're going to ram it through. We don't care if it ruins the state. We don't care if it kills the archery access for hunters. We're going to make money. We'll do whatever we have to do to do it. And it's a shame. It, this is, it's shameful what, this, what that organization is doing and how they're going about doing it. And if they did it in the public and let the public debate on it and let people vote on it, fine. But that's not what they're doing. It's, it's just... It's yeah. just an analogy that's so distasteful and it's replicated all over in politics and by, in different issues. And, and, and all the hunter issues that slide in, it's generally like that. We'll attach it to a bill. We'll sneak it through. We'll, we'll try and, you know, just, just pass in the dead of the night without people, without the hunters being able to even know it's coming. And, and that's got to stop. It's got to stop mm -hmm. that, that way of slipping things through. Yeah, that's nasty, man. I, I feel like a lot of people listen to this feel pretty dirty about that right now yeah and, and like in iowa it's one group it's one crossbow company it's raven crossbows i mean i don't hear from Crook, whatever joe the raven ones are. I mean, <laughs> yeah and i'm literally like it's crazy but like i i have my once in a while we'll make videos that help people and habitat and that in iowa i tell well you know i dabble a little bit with social media, but it's just for help, helping people, habitat, um, hunting tactics, stuff like that. Just another way to give back. But I'm like, and I want to make a video where we, I wanted to get a Raven crossbow and like blow it up or something. I mean, I don't know. I'm just, Oh, guys blow them up I'm all just, the time. You know, you know, yeah. But you know, people would I'm, listen I'm to this so and say, with that company. well, people listen to this and say like, what, you know, they got to be spending millions of dollars. They don't understand that the return on that millions of dollars of investment into this lobbyist and stuff like that is off the charts like the fact that yeah, when so, crossbows become legal in a state the amount of money that those companies stand to make is astronomical it's dude it's, it really is like big big crossbow you know it's, it's big crossbows like, it cro crossbows are not but inherently evil like we ourselves have advocated for crossbows mm -hmm. in, in a I, multitude of one i own one yeah jeremy I does too crossbow I bought it for my nephew who is disabled to use yeah. in Iowa. I 100%. bought it for him. It's 100%. not a raven because if it was a raven, I would have blown it up. Um, <laughs> but raven spends, it's probably around here. Raven spends per year probably thirty to $40,000 in lobbying. And they go, okay, let's do it for four or five years. Wow. Because we have to do it. Imagine, at dude, imagine the rate of return they're getting on that investment. As soon as it becomes legal. What do they sell a crossbow for? They're, well, they're expensive. Two, they're high they're, end. They're, they're, they're like two to three dollars You got to sell yeah. 10 crossbows. You made your money back. Yeah. Their margins are insane. Their margins are insane. So here's here's real numbers. And I'm, I, I'm somewhat making them up, but I understand the numbers. So let's just say they go, okay, let's say we're going to allocate $35,000 for lobbying in Iowa to ram through what we want against the hunter's wishes, against the residents' wishes behind the scenes, 35,000 bucks. And they do that for, or say it's 40 for five years. That's clearly $200,000, mm -hmm. $200,000 investment. Five years later, they get what they want. And a lot of times it's quicker. Uh, and then they go, Oh, we're going to net $2 million worth of profits from that state or three or five or millions. And, you know, and what does that do to the compound bow? companies it kills their business and what's what's it do to local archery shops who are constantly upgrading bows working on bows well dude just, upgrading just, every two just, years. just for fun the archery shop business just for fun and maybe i don't have these numbers exactly right but so like in the first whatever it's been 10 days of minnesota archery season they've killed 800 deer 
Am I mm-hmm. right about that? With crossbows? Yep. So let's say 25% of those were with ravens. Um, that's, you know, 200 raven crossbows, mm-hmm. you know, that may, may or may not have been. Let's even say it's like half of that. So let's say 100 raven crossbows were bought in the state of Minnesota. It's like $200,000. And it's got to be way more than that. It's $200,000. And it cost them $30,000 to lobby for that in the state. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're break even and running at that point. Yeah. And, and the hunters woke up one day and said, what? Crossbows are legal? Uh, and the guys who go out and do it, I don't, I'm not blaming them at all. I'm, I'm blaming the process and how it gets done. Well, that's where the opportunities keep no. coming back to us is like, uh, we don't blame anybody for doing it if it's legal. It's the people making these opportunities legal and putting them in front of the hunters to take advantage of them. That, that's the issue at hand. The extreme version of that, and we said this before, of like, and maybe it is a stretch, but like, let's say I'm a thermal company, and I and I come and I pay a lobbyist, and I say, hey, listen, you know, guys really want to. If, if we allowed them to shoot deer with thermal stuff at night, they would definitely take advantage of that. There's a lot of money to be made here. 100%. Here, here you go. Let, let's push for this. And then all of a sudden, you know, things that we look at, at each other and we say, absolutely, yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous. They would never go for that. I don't know, man. I bet they, I bet they would like in a fairly short order, you know? Yeah. If, if I, uh, if I wanted dogs to chase deer here and, and hunt, hunt deer with dogs, you know, I'm going to have dogs unleashed and they're mm-hmm. going to track deer and run them all over. People would do it. There'd be a lot of people buying dogs to chase deer, whatever it is, yeah. whatever it is. If you legalize it, people are going to do it. You make it high power. You know, I can use my 300 win mag on August 1st. And these bucks are still developing. There will be dudes rifling bucks August first. Absolutely, guaranteed. Hundred percent. Hmm. And I don't blame the hunters. I blame the process of how it gets implemented. We gotta stop this. I at agree. least, you, at least you'd get ahead of some EHD with an August first mm. date, right? That's true. Get them before they die. Get them before That's they die. The They're gonna die gonna anyways, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, I did get hit too. I, I, did you? I lost one on the out. Yep, on the outskirts of my farm. Uh, the very edge where it, it borders up to some pasture and stuff like that. Uh, I found, we, we found one yesterday. And but, Chris, how, how long have you guys been finding EHD de- dead deer? You haven't found them on your place, but buddies in the area. When did it start? About the last week of August. Oh, you know, how, how bad, how bad is it? Like, yeah, I know you've sent us some pictures and stuff, Chris. I didn't realize you hadn't any, found any on your farm yet. Like, and you've been through it before. I mean, this is not the first year that it's hit that area. Scale of one to ten, ten being like everything's dead. How how? Uh, it's, so I wasn't like right where my farm's at right now. Um, I I never. I mean, I didn't start hunting here till twenty nineteen, and uh, it was late in the year when I started hunting here. Mm-hmm. So I've got neighbors to the south of me. Um, that have about a thousand acres. So I was, I was talking to him yesterday. He's found nine bucks. Um, but I said, is this, so it's, it's nine bucks on 900 acres. Okay. About a thousand acres. Um, and that's just what he's found. Right. And he hasn't really been like going out looking hard. He's just been doing farm work and stuff mm. and smell and run across it. But I asked him last night, he sent me two more bucks. He found yesterday afternoon. And I said, is this as bad I go, when did you have it here before? And he said, we had it 
a little bit every year, you know, it seems like, like some years we don't have it, but we had uh, the last, like the big one was in 19. He said, he goes, this is not as bad as it was in 19. Which I don't think uh, 19 was as bad as 2012. Was it? I think it, I think it maybe just depends on where you were at. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But so, so, you know, and then essentially they started dying about four weeks ago. Um, I have not found one on my property. There's some deer that are MIA. They haven't, been around for since mid-august but that could just be there somewhere else right Um, yeah tough tough time Um, of year to associate are they dead or are they on acorns have they transitioned like yeah yeah and they start you know when deer start dying in your area then it's like oh my god but i do know like localized like i could tell you from my farm to 20 miles south and then back to um just 20 miles southeast and then back to the west like there's like a triangle where i feel like these deer are dying dying in and a lot of them are around two of the major creeks mm-hmm. that are running through there mm-hmm. um so maybe i'll maybe i'll be lucky right even though they're thousand yards south of me like i'm sure i'm gonna have some die but, yeah i um, mean it is super isolated like i mean you you're either it in is. it or you're not and, and even within that like i know guys that are like I know one guy that went to his farm Saturday, took a youth hunter out and he, he found four deer in like five minutes. He wasn't even trying to find him, but he's like, dude, my whole farm smells like death right now. Um, and he showed me a, a photo of his food plot last night. Um, is he showed me a, a, it's not funny, but it's just like, holy shit. Like this is crazy. But like Nebraska plots are, you know, they're green and they're looking good right now. We've been getting some rain finally, which could be the culprit of part of this got big rains at the end of July and August. So it was drier than hell. And then we just got just bunch of rain here mm-hmm. and, and it dried up again. I mean, it like rained for 10 days and then August 5th, it dried up and we didn't get rain till September. We 5th. got the same thing, dude. Yep. Yeah. Same, same so, kind of sequence. Uh, yeah. He showed me, he showed me, uh, and this is a high deer density area where his farm's at about five miles from here. But there was a photo I had like, it was like 20 some deer you could see in the background of this brassica plot. And then last night he sent a photo and there's like three deer. And uh, he just, he's like, dude, like every day it's like, it seems like there's less deer. So mm. wow. Skip's dealt with it more than me um, as far as like probably been firsthand experience with it. I dealt with it on some farms I hunted in 2019 to the south of here. Um, 2012 was really bad in a lot of areas, but it's according to my neighbor, this that we're getting right now is not as bad as it was in 19 is what he's telling me. So for what that's worth, what did your neighbor, uh, who had 20 deer and then now had uh, three deer or whatever, how does he feel about this compared to 2019 and 2012? So the guy that that, that guy is like five miles from me. Yep. Um, but his mentality is like, you know, it's something that hopefully there's some type of immunity that's built up from surviving deer. And I don't know if that's a possibility or not. You guys probably know more than that than me, but um, I will say that like, it feels like when I'm talking to guys that are getting hit pretty hard right now, they maybe didn't have it quite as bad before. Mm -hmm. Those places that got hit pretty hard and it could just be a coincidence. I don't know, but some of those places that got hit pretty hard. Well, it's good to know that, your immediate neighbor said that this is not as bad as 2019 and that's the first year that you started hunting. And I assume you had a pretty good experience that year. Yeah, we did. I mean, there was, 
there was some good deer, but and I, I think that like, I don't know, like I think some farms are completely going to be wiped out. Like I, I know there's a, another farm about, about five miles away that, uh, on 80 acres, they found 14 dead last week. Wow. That's so nuts. I don't know. It's not fun to deal with. I'm hoping that, you know, I was talking to skip about this, uh, three days ago, four days ago and a few other guys, but I I'm, I'm hoping that there's the, I guess like the light at the end of the tunnel is that these deer can build somewhat of immunity to it. I know I talked to you, Jeremy, about Mm -hmm. it. You were thinking that like that probably wasn't something that was going to happen. But then like talking to skip, he's telling me like, Hey dude, like this, this is going to happen. So I had talked to different guys about this and see different answers. Well, Skip, all your deer are vaccinated, correct? <laughs> I guard them all. Yeah, it's easy because it's all high fence. Are they boosted mm-hmm. as well? Um, mm-hmm. Multiple yeah, times. Yeah, we, we get sponsored by Pfizer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to get my booster again today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't leave the house either. You know, I just. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised you didn't have a mask on when you were on the podcast. That's true. The Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Muddy and Stealth Cam Trail Cameras. Cell cams, cell cams, cell cams. What an evolution the industry has seen. And we've experienced personally over the past five, ten, you know, whatever cameras were invented, right? It's like, man, it's totally changed the way that we inventory gear, pattern gear, and ultimately the decisions that we make when we're going out to hunt. They're a serious piece of the puzzle. And, and uh, you know, that information is invaluable for us. We trust the Muddy and Stealth Cams, you know, together to be able to, to collect any of that information. Yeah, I mean, as an admitted trail cam ad, you know, I've definitely been guilty of, of under hunting places or relying too heavily on that information that's come in. That said, it's an invaluable tool to the overall management plan and strategy that I have for my own properties or even hunting public land. It doesn't yeah. matter. We have a finite amount of time in going out and hunting. So when you and I are after a particular class or quality of deer, usually mature buck, we can't waste time hunting an area where that deer doesn't exist. And those cell cams provide that information that allow us to spend the time in the area with the highest chance to accomplish our goals. I say it all the time, man. They can't kill them if they're not there. That's it. So right now, any of our listeners can use uh, code HUNTER20 to get 20% off either muddy or stealth cameras. Uh, we're certainly going to be taking advantage of that, and we hope you guys do too. Yep, check out Stealth Cam and Muddy. Um, yeah, I mean, I lose some deer generally on the outskirts. I do feel like there's some things I can do to mitigate it. And when, you know, when I talk to my neighbors two miles away in every direction and they're getting annihilated and I'm not, you know, yeah, I think it makes uh, a lot of difference. Some things that I do, um, you know, the garlic, sulfur, minerals, dang fly. Uh, so stuff like that. Um, I think does make a huge impact. And then clearly, you know, um, having just healthier deer overall, uh, you know, the the types of water sources you have, uh, the amount of cattle you have in your immediate area. I mean, there's all sorts of things. And then you'd have to check the the legality on this. But, you know, I talk to people who are, you know, my family has cattle on my wife's side. Um, I talk to them about blue tongue, which is more of a problem Mm -hmm. than cattle. Uh, clearly there's blue tongue and there's DHD, but you know, how do they mitigate it? How do they deal with it? Uh, you know, and ivermectin is a big tool for a lot of these people where, um, you know, they give, they give ivermectin, any biting insect, any, any parasite is dead. And that's going to stay in their system a lot of times, 30 days or longer. So, um, 
you know, if, and I asked my neighbors, I asked them, I'm like, you know, you have high dollar cattle. Are you giving your cattle ivermectin? And I talked to one the other day. He's like, yeah, we just gave our, our round of ivermectin. So all the midges that bite the, the cattle uh, will die. And that will reduce the mids, midge populations. Also, we're going to stop the transmission. If, if hypothetically, if a deer were to ingest ivermectin or they're able to get ivermectin, which you can buy a tractor supply, I mean, 80 bucks would cover a huge farm. What, what um, is it? Anybody? Well, how do you, well, we've obviously ivermectin. heard of, Iver, no, we've heard of ivermectin, obviously, but um, how, like, how do you, how do you go out dosing a wild herd? I, I, the, the legality obviously is a big thing, like you said, to look into, but yeah, yeah so, hypothetically, how would so you hypothetically, dose a herd? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you can actually use, and I, I talked to a veterinarian about this, how they hypothetically would do this. And that is um, using pour on ivermectin which has kind of an alcohol smell and they actually put it on corn. It's meant to be, you know, we put it on cattle. Uh, we actually put it like on their backs and stuff, but you would put this on corn and they would ingest it and it essentially works the same way. And, and then you would mix like molasses with the corn, something to take away that alcohol type flavor mm-hmm. that the ivermectin will have. And then any biting insect, you know, so if you have a deer uh, where a midge comes by that has, has EHD, has a virus, and it bites that deer, sure, that deer could get impacted, but that that midge is dead now, you know. And and any deer um, that really has is that how that works? Ivermel- yeah, like any biting bug? Does that include like ticks and stuff? Yes, ticks gone, gone. Really? So they've used ivermectin. There's actually there's a lot of studies in ivermectin. Like ivermectin, one study in deer is reducing the tick prevalence in high Lyme disease areas across the country. So these places are saying, listen, we have a Lyme's disease epidemic in people. How do we reduce the population of ticks? And ivermectin is one of the tactics they use. Permethrin, rollers with permethrin, stuff like that is other tactics. So yeah. there's tactics they can use for ticks. So ivermectin kills biting insects. It, it, it also dewormer, it kills parasites, mm-hmm. internal stuff like that. So, uh, I mean, it, it won the, I think it's a noble, the Nobel Prize yeah, in medicine. It um, did. I mean, miracle drug, miracle drug. I mean, we've heard about it for COVID. The other thing ivermectin does is when an, when an animal is bit by something uh, that has the virus, clearly it creates inflammation. Well, ivermectin reduces inflammation and it helps them deal with that a lot, a lot better, a lot more efficiently. So, um, and that's why it's effective, you know, in COVID. I mean, a lot of the, the inflammation stuff and, and obviously COVID's a virus and I'm not saying those things are the same at all, but uh, ivermectin is a very potent tool to deal with, you know, guys utilize it in cattle, sheep, and there's data that supports all this stuff. And there's also data that supports garlic, uh, quite natural. And they do ingest it if you do it right. There's data that supports that. And again, it kind of works the same way where uh, that's more of like a repellent though. It, it won't kill the insect that bites, but the insect doesn't want to bite them because it gives off mm-hmm. that odor. And then also if they do get a virus, uh, garlic and sulfur, garlic mainly, is going to help with circulation, stuff like that. Mm. And and there's some benefits like cobalt, B vitamins, interchangeable. So there is a lot of tools if somebody wants to do it. And I talk to people who are like, I don't get involved with this at all, but like, hey, I raise deer in a high fence. And I'll talk to them just out of curiosity. I'm just a curious person. I want to know. I'm like, what do you do? How do you handle it? And these deer are very confined too. Um, whatever you think about the high fence, it's irrelevant. I'm just, sure. I'm just high dollar too. It's their livelihood in most cases. Yes. Yeah. If they, if they lose deer, it's it's their livelihood. So 
what are you doing? And there's things they do that absolutely work. And then there's things they do that, that work that I'm like, I, yeah, it's impractical. I'm not going to go darting right, deep right. and giving this and this, you sure. know, I mean, so, um, there's definitely things you can do. And there's several neighbors like where we've put out things with like garlic, for example, and they've ingested that. And we discuss it like the years where there's bad outbreaks and there's two, two neighbors that are on the same program as me where we do this. And it's like, we don't, we don't lose very many. We lose some because some deer don't ingest it mm-hmm. or, or some deer, you know, it's, it's not a hundred percent thing, but, but we lose very few. And then we talk to the people in every direction and they're dropping like flies. Um, so do I believe it works? Absolutely. I do. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Am I going to say this doing exactly this? It will have this data that supports it in wild deer in your area. You know, sure. I'm not going to go that far into it, but, but absolutely. I believe in it. Are there uh, I know you mentioned in a text message the other day about analogics has some stuff and Lee, Lee, uh, Lee is the other guy that we've heard, you know, uh, mention, you know, trying to address the EHG problem. Like here's some things that you can do. Um, does analogic sell products that you think like, does it have some of this stuff in it? Are there other stuff that, are there other companies that doing it? Like how, yeah. would, how would somebody go about, you know? Yeah. So, so I talked to Lee, um, kind of just, just like this, you know, we were, we're talking on the phone about this stuff and I'm just like, explain this to me, um, you know, beyond the analytics, you know, all what their sales sheet says. I mean, just explain this to me. And he's like, okay, so here's how he explained it to me. And I think he's done this on a few YouTube videos and so on, but, Basically, they find certain substances that help with EHD or things that kind of make them less susceptible to get them. And a lot of them are like drugs, right? Like like FDA approved drugs. And I'm not going to explain this perfectly because I'm, I'm, I listen to him. I've digested sure. this and we've talked about this several times. So I'm kind of trying to relay what he told me. But basically what they do is they found different like for lack of better terms, essential oils that act, that have the exact same result as the actual drugs. So the, the end result is the same as if you have the medication, you're finding a natural substance that has the same mechanism and the same result as a medication. Now, what you're able to do with that is you're able to put that into feed. Um, without getting FDA approval and without having to get all, because if I put a medication in there, you know, in a deer feed, I got to go through all these extra hoops and all these legalities and there's all this extra liability. Sure. So they kind of found a loop, a loophole around that, which is actually, I mean, very valid. It's a more natural method. Um, but so they find these natural essential oils that act like the medications do, and they put that into analogics. Now, when I ask him point blank, you know, Privately, I mean, but I'm, I don't, I, I know he wouldn't mind to say this, but do you think this works? He's like, dude, it works. I said, okay. And, and then when I talked to him, like, Hey, how, how's the EHD like this year, they're in severe drought. And I know some guys down by him are getting blasted. And I think they found a few, but not very many. I think they, I think the other day they were saying they found maybe like four mm-hmm. and again, nothing's, nothing's going to fix everything. But sure. so. You know, I think whatever they're doing too is working, whether it's specifically the analogics, I think there, there are definitely some things that caught my attention with it that I'm like, hmm. man, it's pretty robust. I mean, it's, it makes sense. Uh, do I have the definitive answer? No, but, uh, I can say that 
my farm, his farms, uh, where the neighbors are losing massive amounts of deer. We're not. Yeah. Is that coincidence? I don't think so. Yeah. I, I, I firmly believe that, you know, there's some things in there. And I don't necessarily think it has to be analogics. I mean, if you're like, listen, I'm going to go spend, spend 50 bucks on garlic and do some mineral, whatever. I mean, there's, there's other ways to do it where you can have a substantial impact. And the reality is, is most guys are just going to do nothing. That's yeah. it. But yeah. let nature take its course. And it's fine. If that's your position, I'm totally fine with that. Right, right. I'm not telling anybody to do that. I'm just saying there is some tools that are practical. Look into legality. Uh, I don't want to get anybody in, get anybody into trouble. I don't want to get myself into sure. trouble. Um, but do your own research. I think there's tools that can definitely aid in this that are not gimmicks. And uh, us four being in the hunting world, we've, we've heard every gimmick mm-hmm. known to man on every category. I don't think this is stuff is gimmicks. This is not a gimmick. This is legitimate. I believe it is very legitimate and very robust. And there's also ways to do it where it's like, listen, I'm not talking about products that are for sale for hunters. I'm talking about buying, you know, yeah. generic garlic and getting a kettle mineral or something and mixing in some molasses, you know, stuff like that. Nobody. We'll, we'll leave. Uh, yeah, we'll leave maybe. If somebody wants to look more into that, you, you've put some stuff out on Iowa Whitetail that kind of addresses how, how to do that, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. We'll direct and people that's, to that's your That's all I try and do with Iowa Whitetail, by the way, is helpful yeah. stuff. Um, you know, living um, underground for a long time now, it's like I'm just poking my head up just to kind of be like, I want to get back now. I'm just kind of at a different stage in my hunting journey where it's, I don't care. You know, I've killed a year and a half old bucks starting out and I've killed several bucks in the two hundreds. Now I'm to a point where it's like, I don't, I still love hunting. I, I absolutely love it. I I don't, I don't care if I shoot a buck anymore, to be honest. I I just don't, I, I like, you know, I'll bring other hunters out. I bring youth hunters out. I want to give people information that I was hungry for when I was a lunatic, like hungry, hungry, hungry for information. I've had 30 years of just living in this stuff. Mm -hmm. And now this is just my way to help people. And I'm not out there trying to sell things or make money or, 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 you know, pump up my ego. I don't don't care about any of that stuff. So it's it's the place to give back. Um, Chris, are you, uh, are you employing any, uh, like any of this stuff? Have you in the past or any of the guys like your neighboring farms and stuff? Do you know if anybody's, uh, taking any like preventative measures for the EHD? Not that I'm aware of. I've, I've never done it before. Um, so it's definitely something that sounds like I need to try, but I brought it up to my neighbor uh, a few days ago and the guy that has a thousand acres south of me and he's like, Oh my God, be so expensive and all this stuff. And I don't know. That's what he told me. Skip's disagreeing with me on that, but 80, 80 bucks for a, a for, if somebody ever did it, and it was legal. I think it's like 80 bucks for a big old jug of ivermectin, um, which could take care of probably a thousand acres. Uh, garlic is maybe 50 bucks for a 25 pound bag, which would cover probably a thousand acres. So mm-hmm. now you got to mix that with certain things. Maybe it's some corn. So, man, I got, I had to spend uh, 200 bucks on corn or whatever. I mean, this is not expensive. Yeah. It's just, it's effort like anything. Well, I got to go do this. I got to bring it around. I don't want to do that. Um, okay. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. But it, it's certainly not an expense issue. Well, yeah. I think it's just one of those deals where 
in his mind, he's just like thinking it's going to be crazy expensive. But no, to answer your question, Jared, I, I've never, I've never tried it before. And, and I, I live in, in a little bit of a different world than Skip as far as like the deer hunting by me is a little bit different than probably where he's at and some of his neighborhoods. He has farms in a lot of different places and he's implementing this in a lot of different places. Like our neighborhood here is, I don't know if you call it more old school or what, but it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't shock me that no one's tried that. I think it's probably fairly new. I think a lot of people have never even heard of that before, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a big piece because, I mean, it occurs in the South every year. That's what Chris and I were talking about in terms of the resistance buildup is you see this chronic form in the South where these deer look like shit and then eventually they kind of just survive, right, and make it through. And typically in the Midwest and the Northeast, you don't, right? I mean, the, these deer get it and they're dead. Um you know, and the, the key, the key thing people always ask, they're like, well, how could you tell? Right. One of the key things that you could tell is, um, what they call, uh, hoof sloughing, which is basically where it looks like the hoof looks like a giant ass, like slipper or toenail. So basically when they get this, they, they develop a fever and essentially the hooves start to like form out like a long toenail or fingernail starts to go out. Uh, and you see that a lot in the South on deer that are getting harvested and stuff while well, skip. Um, but ultimately you don't see that nearly as much, uh, in these deer in the Midwest and Northeast, I think mainly because it hits them in the chronic, uh, in the acute form so hard and, you know, within days they're dead. So, you know, can they build tolerances and, and resistance to it? Maybe. Um, I just feel like it's got to happen more frequently before they, you know, they do. Mm. Yeah, I know that in 19, I, I, and by the way, I know guys have seen deer and found dead deer with issues with their hoofs here. Mm-hmm. I, I know that. Yep. And, and that was like, oh man, I know. In, and how, I don't know how many strains of EHD there are. I think there's two main uh, ones, EHDV one and two. And then there's a blue tongue variation as well. Um, but I, I think there's a BTV one and two and an EHDV one and two. So I think there's actually like four possible strains. Okay. Cause I, I, I know that in 19, when like Warren County got absolutely smoked that, um, the DNR said that that was a strain that had never been here before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it's frustrating though, but I, I'm, I don't know. I, I, one thing that it's like, it feels like I found my first deer of EHD in 2008 here. Mm-hmm. And when I was talking to Skip a few days ago and a few other guys, like they talked about how like some of the first cases they ever realized or recognized were in 2000. Um, hmm. And that was south of me, maybe an hour. But yeah, 2008 was my first experience with it in Mississippi. Um, as the first year that I've ever encountered it anywhere, or, or at least had heard about it. And, um, it was 2008, 2012 in Missouri when I lived there. Um, and then obviously when were we in the Dakota 21, 2021 in the Dakotas, mm-hmm. it had just hit, you know, so, and that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen every year. Cause I think it, it, I think it, once it's in this area for whatever reason, if the conditions align, it could happen. Um, it's just the severity of it every year. Yeah. 
So what sucks is if it hits an area so hard, it takes so long to build that. That's what we were just talking about. Takes five years to grow a five-year-old buck. Mm -hmm. I mean, kind of, kind of like the only hope is like, um, I mean, certainly there'll be some survivors, but, um, I think also there there would be like a dispersal, you know, once, uh, like we said earlier about like freeing up of resources and stuff and social pressures. I, d- I do think e- even if, um, let's say a hundred percent of the deer on your place right now died, that's not all the deer that would have showed up on your farm, like throughout the season. Right. So there will be, there will be those travelers. There'll be deer that move in and stuff and all, all is not lost, you know? <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. So, and if it is Chris, you know, obviously we're here to, not that we have, uh, overwhelming access, but if, if we can help you out, we, we, cer- I said, we I certainly like, will. You can come hunt my farm. I don't have anything on it right now, but yeah. you can come hunt it. Yeah, we, 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 no, uh, no Iowa sportsman left behind. I just had a six-year-old show up uh, this morning on nice. my camera, so that You're gives in good me shape. hope. He's not, he's not crazy and he's big, dead. but he's cool. I'm just kidding. Well, cool, guys. Well, we appreciate time today and covered a lot of topics. We got a, another Iowan coming on I did push next. him back uh, 20 minutes so okay. we can eat lunch and cool. stuff. And- We've got uh, Jay Gregory coming on here. So, oh, um, well, that, that's right. You told me that. Yeah. Jay's a good yep. dude. The visor. Uh, we, we stole him off the golf course it. here for a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, he, it'll be fun. He go- uh, he's in tournaments with my father-in-law. Is he? And nice. he, he usually, he's, I asked my father, my father is good. And I'm, I'm Jay's, awful, Jay's awful, a good golfer. golfer. Like I don't golf. Yeah. Yeah. I asked my father-in-law cause he's serious about it and I'm don't golf at all. And yeah. he's like, oh, that dude's good. Yeah. He's really good. So yeah. I asked Jay, uh, maybe a month ago, I'm like, dude, could I slip you like a hundred bucks to let my father-in-law beat you? <laughs> I mean, he's, yeah, he's really good. He was in, uh, he was just saying he was in like the Minnesota pro senior pro am or something like that i don't know that's where that's where he's been this week so very nice i did um pirates cove last uh yeah last summer um mini golf course oh yeah i mean i mean those pirate those pirate chips will get you every time (laughs) that's damn clown this damn windmill yeah 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 (laughs) smiling at me clown (laughs) (laughs) so well cool guys well we appreciate coming on and um glad we got to cover some pretty important topics there and and again anyone listening wants to get involved on the on the iowa sportsman club side obviously you can reach out to these guys directly you can reach out to us and we'll get you in contact with them and um you know appreciate your guys's openness you know willingness to talk about some of this stuff i know is like Mm-hmm. It's, it's controversial, you know, like the, uh, you know, the, the cross, the, you know, a lot of the stuff, frankly, that we talked about is kind of all, you know, that people will have some issues with it, I guess, but, um, <laughs> pr- appreciate you guys coming on and like, dude, yeah. we're just, we're, we're not the, I'll speak for at least Jeremy and I, like we are not the authorities or the experts on like any of these issues. No. You know, I just, I do think they're super important to, to talk about and, and we are experiencing like, I think what all the four of us talked about, like a, a degrading, a decreasing in the quality of the experience, like mm-hmm. in our state yeah. and other states. And we, and we want that to, to stop. And, and I don't want to divide hunters. I, I, you know, my, I have friends that bait, I have friends that use crossbows. I have friends that, you know, whatever that live in these degraded States that shoot the first year and a half. But I'm not looking to d- divide these people. I'm just sure. saying, let's look at, let's look at the trajectory we're on what's happened in the last 20 years 
and look at what's hap- what the result of all this madness being pushed up, uh, being pushed to us that we didn't ask for. What's the result? Let's change this direction because if we don't, this is the end of, I mean, the good old days will be behind us and we're going to ruin hunting if we don't change direction here. And we have the opportunity now and it's our duty to do it. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Cool. All right, boys. Well, we appreciate it. We'll Thanks, let guys. you get back to Iowa. Good uh, opening day. What Sunday there? Yeah. Not for me. It's too hot. Uh huh. Yeah. Cold, cold days. I'm out. Okay. Well, for Iowa. the rest of Iowa, it opens on Sunday. There you go. It's already here. I know. Awesome. Well, good luck. Okay, boys. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks. And awesome. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff, man. Long one. <clears throat> yeah. Um. Yeah. I mean, a lot of different things. I mean, big things. I mean, obviously, Chris and Taylor and those guys taking a step to to get an Iowa Sportsman's Club together. Um. You know, sounds like they got a long way to go, but at least, I mean, hell, they've they've put it together. They've made the step. Um, I think that's super critical uh, in terms of making some differences. It, you know, it is funny because the last time we had Skip on, like, you know, for most of these, I think, organizations, it's literally being on the defense. You know, it, it's it's not about, like, hey, let's go in and, and change or remove crossbows in this area or let's remove baiting in this area. It's the things that are continuing to happen to try to, you know, decrease the quality of hunting or affect the the hunting experience um and so it's literally blocking those things and it makes you wonder in the states like ohio or pennsylvania where some of these things are already legal it's like jesus what else are they trying to get through Mm -hmm. you know because i'm sure they're still trying well as funny as it sounds dude you know i talk about the thermal stuff i talk about you know some of these things we think are extreme it'll happen mark my words if it hasn't happened already there absolutely will be a push to put to have some sort of thermal incorporation into deer seas. There's no doubt in my mind that will happen. Yeah. And yeah. as crazy as 10 years ago when somebody said, oh, one day crossbows will be legal during the full archery season. And they said, right. Yeah. yeah there's no crazy. way. Here it is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Same with introduction of baiting and feeding in these places. So, Well, and that, that one is, is some of them are, are interesting, right? Because it's like some of it's happening like, almost in a reverse order where it's like mm-hmm. those things have always been around, but they weren't necessarily exploited to the point that they are now. And I think the industry is somewhat to blame for, for that aspect of it. Yeah, I would agree. It, not that that's inherently evil as we've discussed, sure. you know, but it, uh, it's there and it's able to be taken advantage of. And, you know, sometimes regulation needs to change to account for, for things like that. Yeah. So. And, it, and it's not, it's not updating itself to that. So, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we appreciate everybody listening to episode 150 uh, with Skip Sly and Chris Duncan talking everything crazy in the industry and and the world of hunting, uh, in particular for Iowa. Yeah. So just nuts to to see it all come together there. But uh, yeah, we appreciate you listening, and we'll catch you next week. Later. It's take me. Oh.